called? I'm called the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzle cast, welcome to my commentary of The Matrix Reloaded with an assist from Papa Bizzle. This is the sort of short prelude to a long intro and then the commentary, just because I have a couple notes. <clears throat> now that I've done it um, First of all, the intro is long It's 20 minutes um, But unlike some of my other intros I planned on doing a long intro Because I love this movie A lot of people dislike it, hate it Don't understand it Or some combination of it um, And I talk uh, at, at some length About the philosophical, personal, religious uh, Intellectual and other reasons That I love uh, The Matrix Reloaded um, Or at least come, came to love it over time uh, And so if you want to skip the intro I have the uh, sort of the time of the actual beginning of the commentary uh, in the uh, copy uh, for the podcast in the description for the podcast. It's somewhere around like 25 minutes or so after this, the intro and uh, the intro um, and the music at the beginning. Uh, Some Rage Against the Machine. I hope you enjoy that. Um, And, uh, you know, even if you uh, don't uh, listen to the podcast, I would urge you to listen to my intro where I really go through. Uh, the philosophical, uh, you know, depth uh, and interesting things, and what I consider um, pretty groundbreaking in a lot of ways, and let alone the filmmaking uh, in The Matrix Reloaded, um, and even Revolutions, which even I have problems with. Although, I, again, I like it more than most, but I really love The Matrix Reloaded. And so, um, if you want to skip the intro, you can. If you want to listen to both, you can. It's right after this. If you want to go right into the commentary, you can. Uh, but if you don't have time for the entire commentary, listen to the intro um, and the second note and then I will get into said intro because I've recorded it and the commentary uh, with Papa Bizzle is a production note which is I wanted to watch this with my dad on his ginormous screen and amazing sound system and I didn't want to compromise the way we normally do where we listen to the sound very quietly so that it doesn't bleed through so you are going to hear the movie and so you know a lot of people listen to my commentaries without actually lining it up with the movie but even if you normally like to line it up and you still can uh, in fact, it'll be easier to line up because because uh, you'll hear the sound. Uh, but this is one you can definitely listen to on the go. Listen to the commentary. Uh, uh, because the sound is is going to bleed through, it doesn't interrupt um, you know my voice, which is still front and center. Uh, it's a little hard to hear Papa Bizzle at first, um, and I adjusted the microphone a little bit, but for some reasons, uh, certain reasons, I uh, I wasn't able to get him uh, fully volumized, if you will, uh, for this. And so you have to listen to it a little bit, but it does get better as it goes along. And he has some great questions, but also some great points, and just us really enjoying uh, both the the character drama philosophy stuff, uh, but especially the amazing action in this movie that's really groundbreaking and it's held up extremely well. Whether you like the philosophy and the long, sort of the long philosophical talk with lots of complicated words and so forth, uh, you'll have to decide for yourself. But the action in this movie uh, it was extremely groundbreaking, has been copied, imitated, or influential uh, in a million movies since, including the Dark Knight movies and a lot of others. Um, and so that's super fun to listen to. Uh, and so you can enjoy the commentary anyway you want to, but just wanted to let you know uh, that the sound will come through more than usual. That was somewhat intentional. The action scenes are a little bit louder than I wanted to, but again, doesn't interrupt me, and especially during the dramatic stuff, including some great comedy in this movie, which is very subtle uh, and gets better on repeat viewings, you'll hear me and my dad talking and laughing and just enjoying the whole thing together. Um, So uh, without further ado, I will lead you into the intro. Um, Again, go to around 20 to 25 minutes in or so if you want to get straight to the 
the commentary or just enjoy the intro if you don't have time uh, or want to listen to the whole commentary and, and we'll get you right into it. So thank you so much for joining me. I love The Matrix Reloaded. I hope I can bring some new points to the table. Um, and without further ado, uh, here is my intro and commentary for The Matrix Reloaded. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to a commentary I've been wanting to do for an extremely long time, even though I'm in the vast minority of someone, uh, of people who not only like this movie, but absolutely love it. In fact, uh, the philosophy and religious aspects of this really drove my, uh, my interest in college and into grad school later on. Of course, the movie in question is The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, Bizzlecast 19 was actually Matrix Reloaded commentary, uh, but I didn't have my mic uh, at that point. Um, and while I had done Lord of the Rings commentaries and a couple others, um, I actually recorded The Matrix Reloaded one before I had my mic, and it's very, very rough in terms of the sound. Um, and it's not one that I'm, uh, it's not that I'm not proud of it, but until Bizzlecast 20 with uh, my Star Trek 09 reboot commentary, I wasn't really in the groove. Uh, that I'm, you know, uh, while I've, I think, gotten better and perfected over the years, uh, that Star Trek commentary, Winter Soldier, Avengers Age of Ultron, Guardians of the Galaxy, a bunch that I did in sort of the 20s uh, after those first few months, of, obviously it was way better sound quality, and I was just more on top of my game. Now, I've done a Matrix commentary with Simi Klimo, uh back maybe five, six months ago, and I did a sort of retrospective with Adam Tuck a year or two ago. This, of course, is the 20th anniversary this year, I guess back in March, um, was the 20th anniversary of uh, The Matrix 1999, which blew everyone away. And while Matrix was loaded, disappointed many people, including me, on first watching, after sitting on it, rewatching it a couple times with different people, and then, of course, watching the amazing uh, nine anime shorts known as the Animatrix that came out after The Matrix Reloaded and before The Matrix Revolutions came out like six, eight months later, really, uh, the philosophy and the ideas really started blossoming. Um, now, as I say in The Matrix commentary with Simi, is that people's uh, disappointment with The Matrix Reloaded, but specifically people's real dislike of the Matrix Revolutions, of which I share, some of that had to do with it being so corny and over the top and like Hollywood to a point that was really not in the spirit of the Matrix. And while I share some of those same uh, problems, with it, although I love the sort of Death Star Trench with Jada Pinkett Smith and uh, Lauren Fish- Lawrence Fishburne. Naomi and Morpheus in that movie, and there's some interesting philosophy with the Indian family. Um, you know, B- Bane, you know, which is sort of Smith's human form that he takes outside of the Matrix and tries, trying to kill Neo yet again. There are some interesting things going on, but I continue to love the Matrix Reloaded over the years, and it's definitely a combination of philo- high philosophy and action that really doesn't work for a lot of people, but really works for me. Um, and I'm actually at my dad's place, uh, where, as I've mentioned a few times in the commentary the past few weeks, he's got sort of, a hun- uh, I think, 100 inch or 110 inch projector at his new place in the basement. We watched The Dark Knight, uh, which was the first time he had seen it, which was awesome for for me to experience that and me to experience that amazing movie uh, and this amazing uh, sound uh, and and visual setup here. Um, And so I figured, you know what? I don't think my dad's seen The Matrix Reloaded um, or not (laughs) sort of any time recently that he would remember. And it's a great movie. I'm interested to see what his reaction is going to be to all the high philosophy 
and stuff, which is, uh, well, you can consider the action as breaking up the philosophy, uh, or you can think of the, the philosophy as breaking up the action. You know, for me, like with Age of Ultron, I have no problem with act structures where it goes very severely between action and, you know, drama, or in this case, you know, drama slash philosophical talk if it's done well. And I'm going to talk about a lot of the philosophy. Um, you, you should definitely check out the Matrix commentary I did with Simi Klimo because I introduced a lot of the ideas. I did a whole paper, uh, at least one uh, undergraduate as a philosophy major and then studying religion um, at a graduate level, uh, wrote at least another one. Um, but specifically, not about the ideas of the Matrix, which are great, which has to do with reality, you know, what is real, what is truth, uh, you know, is it what you can taste and touch and smell, um, you know, so in that case, the Matrix is real as a quote-unquote real world, um, and that stuff was all very revolutionary, both to the general public, uh, who opened their mind to it, and to people like me, who were already very into sort of metaphysics and, and basic philosophy in high school, and of course, as I mentioned, continuing on at, 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 at sort of ever higher levels as I went to graduate school, uh, undergrad, and then graduate school. Um, but, um, it, it, and I'll mention this, you know, I'm sure, again, in the commentary, um, and then we're going to get started. I'm going to actually uh, watch with my dad. So while I have the mic sort of up to my mouth, uh, you'll hear my dad talk a little sort of in the background. I'll try and move the mic a few times uh, when he has stuff to say. Um, now, we are going to listen at full volume, but the denoising effect that I have on my recording program on my Mac is going to make it so it's not too loud. But this is one of those where you really don't have to watch the movie in conjunction uh, because I'll be talking a lot about what's going on on screen, especially during the philosophical parts. And you can hear some of the dialogue and action and music in the background. My dad will be here. We'll be watching it together. So I get the father-son thing. I get the huge screen and amazing sound thing. Um, and I get to record a podcast for one of my favorite movies. Um, and uh, as I was getting to before, if The Matrix, 1999, original movie, is about what is real, uh, The Matrix Reloaded is about what is control, about levels of control, and about exploding the myth that you know hundreds of thousands of people in Zion, and certainly our main characters in Morpheus, uh, Neo, Trinity, and so forth believe that they've ex escaped the Matrix and therefore escaped the control of the Matrix and specifically the machines behind the Matrix. We learn this one late in the movie with the architect in a scene that's very confusing slash boring to most people. And to me, is absolutely brilliant and locked us in as one of the smartest and most philosophical movies of all time. And like I said, really got my uh, philosophical imagination uh, going at a time late in high school and early in college. And that was extremely influential to me uh, for my life and, and for my academic studies. Um, but this movie is about control uh, and about the ways in which uh, the people of, of Zion, the supposedly free people of Zion, are actually being manipulated and are in a Hindu-esque cycle of uh, creation and destruction, um, uh, uh, which is brought about by um, the, the sort of lead machines of the Matrix as represented by the architect and apparently the Oracle, as we'll find out um, uh, and just the machine world in general, however that works, um, uh, and that uh, you know they create false messiahs like Neo, and he's the sixth one, and, and they are planning on doing it over and over again because they've realized, and I'll again go into this more in the commentary. They've realized that rather than trying to control 
all of humanity who are in pods, you know, that you've all seen the disgusting, horrifying, you know, brilliant images of people in pods, you know, being batteries uh, for machines. Um, uh, uh, they've tried to straight up control the people. They've tried to create utopias and, and none of it has worked. So what they did was create a very realistic uh, simulation, um, fully realized of 1999, obviously, uh, or, or early 21st century uh, um, uh, Earth, uh, in which 99.9% of the population accepts um, the Matrix construct, even if there is a splinter in their mind, as Morpheus says in the first movie, if they have at least the illusion of choice, even if it's at a subconscious level. And most people, it is at a subconscious level and they accept that they have choice. This, of course, reflects the uh, debate between free will and determinism um, and the ways in which we need to sort of believe in free will, even if it doesn't exist, in order to function. Uh, that's sort of, uh, you know, uh, mirrored or, or represent, represented uh, as the, with what the architect talks, talks about in terms of, you know, having the subconscious illusion of choice and therefore accepting the matrix, but 0.1% of the population or whatever it is will still reject it. And so they give them an outlet uh, through hacking um, and escaping into their pods and the whole Zion situation that we find and see in the first movie um, and those rebellious people uh, you know who reject the matrix uh, they it's easier to control them creating a false messiah complex um, to, um, to the point where they're growing strong enough to maybe challenge the matrix and at that point uh, the, who, uh, the neo character the messiah character goes to the source as we see the end of this one and is supposed to um, basically, you know, kill themselves or, or be, uh, you know, taken apart with their code being s- disseminated um, uh, back into the Matrix and Zion is destroyed and they start all over again and again in sort of a Hindu-like cycle of, of death and rebirth. Um, and because it's easier to control people with a messiah complex um, than it is to sort of directly control them because people, you know, even non-rebellious people will start feeling rebellious if they feel like there's direct control over them. Much easier to have people follow a false messiah that you can control even if you just sort of reboot it. Um, and, but as we'll see, and now we'll, we'll get into the countdown in a sec, we'll bring in Papa Bizzle and we'll start doing commentary. Thank you for joining me. Um, it, we, is that Neo rejects this plan, and he's the first one to reject it, and they threaten that they're going to destroy the Matrix, um, but unfortunately for the machines, um, the, the Smith virus that Neo creates accidentally, or seemingly accidentally, is way out of control, uh, and you know, I've, one of the smarter and more interesting parts of the third movie, which of course people had tuned out at that point because they just hated it so much, which I understand, um, is that you know, even though the Smith virus threatens to destroy both the human and the machines, uh, it's that that serves as the bargaining chip in the third movie for Neo to, um, you know, the one and the zero, if you will, cancel each other out uh, and cause um, uh, lead to at least a temporary peace um, between the machines and the humans. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This movie is all about the slow reveal, starting with the Oracle, continuing with the Merovingian stuff that I love, um, and, you know, the slow reveal of how much control they are still under. Um, I should say, how controlled they are still being, even while thinking they are outside the Matrix. 
Really quick final thought is, of course, there were two major theories coming out of the Matrix uh, Reloaded, but especially the end of Matrix, which introduced even high, even sort of more diverse and in some ways more interesting and deep philosophical ideas than the, the nine short animes of, uh, um, of the Animatrix. Uh, one of the theories was the Matrix and the Matrix Theory. Now, this was, of course, um, you know, at least uh, theoretically realized in Inception by Christopher Nolan with Dreams and Dreams... Dreams within dreams within dreams, and you don't know whether you're asleep or awake, which I have to think was a tribute, or at least sort of following on and trying to build on what happened in the Matrix. Of course, as I've said on previous podcasts, I love every movie Christopher Nolan has done, basically, except for Inception, which I despise. And I think part of the reason I despise Inception is that uh, is that Dreams is less, uh, sort of less interesting, um, but but more so uh, was just that I had wanted to see something similar in the Matrix, but done more smartly. Nolan really focused on the aesthetics and the human drama, which is cool, um, not so much on sort of a coherent philosophy um, or series of philosophy and philosophical ideas. Um, and so I'm going to be talking about this movie uh, in context, especially of following the first movie and how much it expands on the philosophy, but also introduces the radical new idea of levels of control and the fact that the machines are controlling humans outside the matrix. Now, I said the first theory um, uh that some people thought coming out of the first two movies, the Animatrix was a Matrix and a Matrix, where when Neo and Morpheus and so forth leave the Matrix in the first movie, they're actually just entering another level of the Matrix. And that would have been cool, but when you see Inception, you realize it's actually not as cool as it sounds. The more interesting idea, which is a system theory which I'm definitely going to bring up during this commentary, I think, um, if I can remember to and have time, uh, is uh, uh, what they call a system theory. Um, and basically what the system theory says is that all the people that we think are humans are actually AIs, and um, in their quest to become more human, or at least more complex with emotions and love and so forth, the machines cre- have uh, you know a whole AI um, program or sets of programs, or a whole AI world even, in which the AIs truly believe they are people because they because the uh, machines who are aware of it and who are conducting this experiment or project um, uh, realize or at least hypothesize that they'll never be able to experience uh, things as complex um, uh, as emotions um, and human feelings and so forth uh, without sort of generating a human experience by AIs who are unaware of what's going on. I definitely don't think the Matrix and the Matrix is going on, and I don't even think the system theory is happening because ultimately while it was executed not as well as I would have liked in Reloaded but it's certainly not as much as I would have liked in Revolutions um, it is just the, how scary it is that machines are controlling we're not in the Matrix in the Matrix we're not AIs we are actually outside the Matrix and Zion is outside the Matrix but they're still controlling us through the false messiah complex because that brings in politics and religion in a super interesting way and so overall I'll, is, I'll, of course I'll watch Matrix Reload over and over again because I just love the movie like Ultron. I don't care if other people don't like it, and hopefully I can bring some stuff to the table that will help you appreciate it. But I can even watch Revolutions um, occasionally uh, just to get that um, and the whole discussion with the Indian family at the beginning uh, with Santi about love um, and, and how machines in... Uh, and this is why I don't think the system theory is true, is that machines are discovering love, but they are rebellious within the machine world, and they have to smuggle Sati out secretly without the machine knowledge and so it's going to be hard to talk about this movie without talking about what comes 
comes next, um, at least philosophically, I certainly will bring the Animatrix and how this follows the Matrix and how some ideas were clearly, you know, added in the four years between uh, the Matrix in 99, um, or at least expanded on, and this movie in 2003, but how some things, especially the Smith virus in particular, was clearly set up by the Wachowski um, brothers, now sisters, uh, in the first Matrix, especially after you, you know, see multiple times Smith's whole speech, uh, it's the smell, uh, to Morpheus about how humans are a virus that need to be exterminated essentially but then smith becomes a virus the smith virus um and his uh, uh but of course smith uh when he becomes the virus it becomes extremely nihilistic just wants to kill neo and just murder and just you know destroy physically uh and digitally uh, both the machines and the humans because he's lost his purpose uh, which again goes back to free will and determinism destiny purpose fate uh things that you know morpheus there uh, is actually much more unsure about than he realizes until the end of this movie uh, and all those ideas. So Matrix actually throws a lot of shit against the wall, um, but if you can stay with it long enough to get to the architect and really process the speech, which I will try and break down, um, somewhat while it's happening and then maybe with a small wrap up afterwards because of course the movie ends pretty close a- after uh, after the architect scene um, uh, with seemingly the end of the, the human uh, world in Zion and Zion and all that apocalyptic stuff as a cliffhanger to revolutions which did not which did fairly poorly in the box office Matrix Reloaded actually did pretty well just because everyone wanted to see the next chapter of the Matrix but after they really disliked it and it was stupid for them to release it the same year like six months later should have waited at least a year for revolutions and it was just not very good for long stretches and very cheesy Hollywood in ways that people, you know, the mainstream audience just found boring and unappealing and then people like me who were there for the philosophy and the big ideas found very little to hold on to other than what I kind of described but there's some good stuff that I'll bring up so uh, that was a long intro, I will have put the starting time of the commentary in the copy So, if you are just joining us, um, I'm going to take us into the countdown for The Matrix Reloaded, watching with Pompa Bizzle and his amazing setup here out in the suburbs. Hopefully the sound won't bleed through too much, but my denoise filter and other things I do uh, should make it so it's very much in the background. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I like my Age of Ultron commentary, which apparently was something that at least attracted Jason Ritter, who's sort of my main follower and contributor on the Bizzlecast site online, and I had him on finally on the podcast to talk. Um, I made amazing talk, mostly about comic books and DC Comics in particular for two and a half hours, but he, he said that he discovered me looking for a positive uh, take um, via commentary of Age of Ultron, which is another movie. I mean, uh, let's put it this way. A lot more people like, if not love, Age of Ultron than The Matrix Reloaded and certainly Matrix Revolutions, but I tend to like the second movie. You know, people agree Empire Strikes Back's amazing second movie. People agree that Dark Knight is amazing, you know, second movie, but, you know, I even like ones that are less popular. popular. But I think I'm going to bring some interesting ideas to the table here. So this will be little interesting experiment seeing with my dad in person um also uh we will be finally after a break going back and finishing daredevil season three and hopefully the punisher after that as we love the netflix marvel series may it rest in peace at least for now so get your um dvds blu-rays digital files whatever queued up to zero i'm going to count from three to two to one i'm going to say go and when i say go you should hit play i would put subtitles on especially if you're not listening super loud um and uh 
you, you know, you can put the volume on, you know, sort of quiet just to get some music in action or full blast, uh, however you prefer to listen. Or maybe you're just listening on the go, which is sort of how I listen to people's commentaries. Uh, but I listen to a ton of podcasts, a ton of commentaries. So uh, queue up if you need to take a break, do so now. Um, and here comes the countdown. Three, two, one, go. One, two, three. All right, guys, here we go. The Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> we did the first three minutes that I screwed up, so now we're recording. Here's the Warner Brothers with very Batman-esque music. Me and my dad just watched The Dark Knight. Welcome, Papa Bizzle. Thanks. I'm really excited about seeing this since I've never seen it before. So you haven't seen The Matrix a million times like me, but you did love their Sense8 series on Netflix. Yeah, you know, I just seem to connect with what the Wachowskis do. I, I love Sense8. I thought it was like genius, and I just, I'm just comfortable with how, how they approach their filmmaking. Here's the Matrix Code. Uh, they tease a sort of the digital roller coaster in the first movie. X-Men took this to another level in their first two, and now the Wachowskis are taking to an even greater level as we s- go through the code. An amazing little uh, r- digital roller coaster here, but uh, there's some sort of structures to... Um, that. This, of course, is the neurons we see in the X-Men, Dad. This is, uh, is meant to be the human brain um, in the code. We go back to the code. Of course, they were the Wachowski brothers at the time. Now they're the Wachowski sisters. Um, and Sensei, it certainly has transgender stuff going on. But there's been a revisitation of the Matrix movies uh, from a transgender perspective, uh, not just academically, but in the mainstream. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if uh, how these movies age over time. And Sensei is loaded with transgender stuff, and it's fabulous. So straight out into the clock, and it's midnight. Now, the first time I saw this, and of course my dad's seeing it, I'm going to try not to ruin later parts of the movie. You have no reason to think this isn't real. And five seconds into the actual film, here comes Trinity with the motorcycle, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. The backflip. <sighs> looks totally real. One thing you can't say about the sequels, even if you don't like them, is that it doesn't look good. And I think Daddy will agree throughout this movie. It looks amazing. Spectacular. Here she comes. Slow reveal, Carrie Moss, looking amazing. One of the greatest androgynous action star beauties of all time, like Sigourney Weaver. Here we go, boom. Using the helmet to beat these guys up and not kill them because they're not total bad guys like the agents. But, we, you know, the first movie starts with Trinity fighting. Oh, there's a scorpion kick. Love that. That's a trademark. I don't know how Karen Moss does that. I'm in. Okay, now she turns the code, and the scene completely changes. So you're thinking, okay, maybe something weird's going on. And here's a building, lots of glass. Oh, there she goes, out the window. She's got two Uzis, and she's just trying to survive. And then we're going to see an agent jump out. And we know it's an agent, because no normal person would jump out of a building like this. Of course, the agent would survive, even if he quote-unquote died. She, he's shooting her. He's going to jump out. Slow motion. I mean, no one does slow motion better than Luchowski. Do they use a lot of slow-mo in uh, Sense8? Not, not a lot, no. Yep. Yeah. Here we go. They also do action scenes great because. Well, hold on. Get back to that. Look at look at Trinity's face. She's she knows it. This is a great, great shot here. This whole sequence is really spectacular. Well, we're gonna see it again. So I'm glad you like it. Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, you can see the Matrix code falling like with the glass. How they work it in. Rain also uh, signifies Matrix code. Trinity can't hit him, and you know it's coming. Boom. And right in the gut. You're going, they're not going to kill Carrion Moss this early. She looks dead. And all of a sudden, starts speeding up. Something hits the car. And Neo wakes up. It was all a dream. Oh, it was all a dream. Or was it? 
So, spoiler alert, guys. A lot of people didn't like The Matrix Reloaded. I didn't even like it the first time I saw it. Now I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite movies. Part of the problem is, while there's a great uh, small action scene early on, they really stress the love relationship, and then we spend a ton of time in Zion, which is the free city of, of humans, and while Zion is cool the way it's imagined, and there's some cool sort of Dune spice orgy stuff and philosophical, political talk, um, it, it, this movies are always more interested in uh, the um, uh, when they're in the Matrix. So the early part of the movie... We spend in Zion. It was important because they wanted to set up the big battle in the third movie, but it's also important because, Dad, I don't talk about this enough anymore. It's all about what are we fighting for. It's not enough just to fight the bad guy. We need to see what we're fighting for. This looks amazing. Even in the first movie on a much lower budget, the hovercraft and all this underground stuff looks spectacular. One of the best parts of the third movie, Dad, one of the redeeming parts, is Jada Pinkett Smith, who's a love interest from Morpheus, who's the best pilot. They do this amazing like trench run, trying to get back as quick as possible to stop the bad guys. I read the budget for this one about $150 Yep. Now, they did an extreme version of Lord of the Rings slash Star Wars, which was released the third, six months after the second, and that was part of the problem. Like with Solo, it was too close to the previous movie. Here we go. This is important. You can turn up. So, you know, most of the crew was murdered by, uh, not directly, but um, through the betrayal of Joe Pantoliano's character, Cypher, in the first movie. Um, And the... The brothers who were the pilots died. <laughs> now, here, just hold on to this. Now, Link is, uh, as you will see, Nona Gay, Marvin Gaye's gorgeous daughter, is in this movie. Um, and she was the sister of the two dead brothers from the first movie. Link is with her. And that's a what are we fighting for thing. These two have amazing chemistry, and that's why they're bringing them back. <laughs> And all the problems with the love story, especially in the third movie, are because the Wachowskis just went too far in over-dramatizing it and so far. And I think in Sense8, too, there's a little uh, over-dramatization, or do they keep it no, low-key? Yeah, definitely. I think they, they learned a lot of lessons from this. Yeah. She's going to call. It's re- referring to the Oracle, um, who's spectacular. Are we ready to come? We're already late. Uh, we missed the part where Morpheus... Here we go. There she is, baby! Jada Pinkett, one of the best parts of the, pre- the sequels. She talks about the last transmission of the Osiris. That's in the Animatrix anime series where we see that they see how big the army is. They're not aware of how big the army is until the Osiris transmits it right before it's exploded. Oh, I see. Right, descent at 100 meters per hour. You can turn up. Trust me, it's not coming here. Yeah, they're in denial. Right, 250,000. Here we go. Fashionably late is Morpheus. Right. There's 250,000 humans and 250,000 robots. Sounds like the thinking of a machine to me, right? Makes sense. 250, yeah. It's purely mathematical. Yeah, you can already tell they have a past, these two, with great acting. Right. They're having trouble because the Sentinels are digging, so they're having trouble broadcasting to the phones that they enter the Matrix through. So we're like deep underground here? Not as deep as you think. We're like four to ten miles. Um, because it's solid rock, it takes a while for even the robots to dig. Yeah, Morpheus hates the commander, who's a great actor, a uh, Shakespearean actor, Commander Locke. A strategy is still being formulated. I'm sure it is. <laughs> now, 
the end of this movie, we see that Neo for sure can feel the Sentinels even outside in the, outside the Matrix. But we're about to see him sense this. Uh, and that's the first clue. This movie is about a slow reveal no, of that? powers, but also the levels of control that they're under that they're not aware of. He, he has new powers in this movie, right? He, yeah, like Cap, you know how Cap gets more powerful in each movie? Neo gets more powerful. Oh, interesting. Um, one of the controversial things is he's only supposed to be powerful in the Matrix. Now, they are in the Matrix right now, and they are for most of the movie. Uh, in the third movie, it seems he's got control outside the Matrix, which was controversial and not fully explained, right? Now, it should be said that Morpheus is one of the only uh, captain commanders that believes in the Oracle bullshit, as they talk about later. Oh. Right. So he's already asking to disobey orders, because they're all being recalled to Zion uh, for the final battle. Yeah, he has to go back to recharge the ship, and so he's asking someone to... Yeah, bullshit. This is a great line. You're asking us to disobey a direct order. That's right, I am, but we will know that the reason most of us are here is because of our affinity for disobedience, which is, of course, true. Because they're the few that rebelled from the Matrix. He won. Morpheus is right here. As we'll see, Morpheus has the support of the Elder Council, the political people, even though the commander can't stand him and would like to throw him in prison. This guy's great. I thought he was a rapper when I first saw him. But he's he's great. Never heard of him. Now, this guy's important. Sounds like Hugo Weaving. Is a voice we recognize? It's Hugo Weaving. Smith. Smith is back. Fine, whatever, now piss off. Yeah, Neo supposedly exploded him at the end of the first movie, but as we will see, Neo actually, quote-unquote, freed him. And this is the clue. Rips it open. Uh-oh. He said to set him free. Yeah. He said to set him free. So Neo's already sensing that Smith is back. It takes him a while to know for sure that that's what's happening. He's not working with the agents, but they make it seem early on here that he it, it is. Here they come. Some of these guys are from the first movie. The guy in the front, for sure. <laughs> so they refer to him at the towards the end as the anomaly in the first movie, and you're like, why is he the anomaly? And we, you know, we find out the messiah complex that's going on here. That's why he's the anomaly. Which just yeah, upgrades. Here we go. First great action scene. Keanu Reeves, as I've said, Dad, of non-Asian people. Yeah. Of I mean, he's Hawaiian, but of mostly white people, he's the best hand-to-hand kung fu fighter of this generation, maybe ever. And I don't know who's close. You think he's, he's substantially better than Charlie? Huh? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He has to do so many more things in these giant movies. It was important that he kicked these guys' asses pretty quickly to show his power. You know, in the first movie, Dad, they keep stressing no one has killed an agent before, um, and Neo's the first one to truly do it. Oh. Now he k- took down a bunch of agents, and now he's doing, as Link will say later, his Superman thing. Looks like he can fly now, too. Yep. This is all in the Matrix. But still, here we go. The beginning of the Smith virus, which was teased heavily. Happening exactly as before. Uh, uh. <laughs> Hugo Weaving, you know, everyone would agree. It's like, you know how everyone loves Ewan McGregor in the prequels, even if they don't like the prequels? Yeah. That's how Hugo Weaving is in the Matrix. Yeah. Neo K. Shit Morpheus, yeah. Yeah. So, they're, you know, they're talking about his increasing power. It's happening now, live. He's doing a Superman thing. Superman thing, yeah. Oh, did I miss it? He just said, yeah. 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 
So this stuff is obviously CGI now, and we'll see some more CGI flying, but because they come in on him and then it's real Keanu Reeves, it's pretty convincing. And, you know, Dad, a, a guy who's sort of normal-looking, as handsome as he is, but with sunglasses and a black suit is much easier. Like Cap. It's much easier to do CGI Cap because he's in the uniform oh. and he's got blonde hair and so oh. forth. He keeps coming to the, mat- the... This is the Oracle's place, but he comes and there's no one there. He's desperate to see her. He doesn't believe in her. He thinks she doesn't believe in him in the first movie, but, of course, she's telling him exactly what he needs to hear, which was not that he was the Messiah. He had to become the Messiah, quote-unquote, on his own. So he's out of the Matrix now. Nope, in the Matrix. It's all in the Matrix. Everyone, okay, so from here for the next 20 minutes, we're out in the Matrix and we're going to Zion, which is the free human city of the quarter million people who have figured their way out of the Matrix. As you'll see, Dad, um, the vast majority of people are not only women, but especially people of color. The Wachowskis, uh, well, Cornell West, actually, who did commentaries on all these movies, Cornell West talks about how it would make sense that people of color and women would be the majority of people who would want to come out of the Matrix, sure. specifically people from third world countries. Right. And part of the reason that they... Um, part of the reason, Dad, that, that the... Uh, the uh, machines who designed the Matrix set it in sort of late 90s is because they wanted to give the uh, enough ways to get out via modems and like basic high-speed internet, but they couldn't set it too far in the future because it would be too easy to get out. Like they have to maintain the illusion that it's hard to get out of the Matrix because otherwise, it, it, not going to sell the lie. That spoiler alert. That it's all. This is all being controlled by the Matrix, and not only that, they've done this six times before, and they keep destroying and rebuilding Zion through the false messiah complex as I said in the intro with Nia but we will get there um, I'm not sure dead what I yeah it's very industrial it's very um, uh, so cyberpunky not cyberpunky um, uh, what do they call it like steampunk yeah nice one um the APUs, as they call them, the armored personnel units, are awesome because they're like mechs, but the people are still exposed. Um, and uh, I'm not sure what I thought Zion was going to... I knew they were going to show Zion. They don't show it in the first movie. They just talk about it, which is very effective. I'm not sure what I thought Zion was going to look like, but it makes a lot of sense. They build a giant hole that's around. You know, it's important that all the roundness, you know... Sharp edges don't occur in nature. Nature is all spirals and circles, and they want to make it as 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 natural as possible given the circumstances. All right, the guy in the far left is a famous character actor. He's fantastic in this movie. In the next one, he's of. uh, I think he's in the prequels. He's he's of New Zealand descent. All right. Yeah. So it's obvious already that he, Morpheus doesn't get along with the commander, which would make sense because Morpheus is all about prophecies and messiahs, and as we'll hear, the commander is all about just winning the war militarily. Here we go. This is great. And this is great writing here that they lose at times in this movie and in the third movie. Right, Naomi, Captain Naomi, right, Musi Morpheus, now she's with Locke. It explains everything. Yep. An alpha male. Yep. Right, more so into the Oracle. Everything changed. That also could be said about both Neo and uh, Trinity, of course. 
Okay, so this kid is just sort of the annoying kid who has hero worship for Neo, but he does have heroic moment in the third movie, but he has an amazing um, Animatrix episode, the nine shorts that they released after this and before the third movie, where he does what they call... Uh, transubstantiation which is will himself out of the matrix without a digital connection because his belief is so strong in neo which is very religious yeah. and hinted towards the more religious themes that would you can carry these uh sure like uh, uh but he commits suicide he's he's a really really disturbed high school kid who feels that things are wrong he knows about the matrix but the agents get to him before he can you know hack himself out he jumps off the building and you think he's committing suicide but he actually is able to using mental projection will himself out of the matrix it's a very powerful episode it looks and some of the best and most interesting stylized anime you'll see Right, so he's he's like Morpheus. He's a true believer. Right, you saved me. You know, Jesus talk and so forth. Mm-hmm. You saved yourself. Neo never truly believes. Okay, this scene's amazing. Commander Locke, he he was in Othello the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I uh, him. Is is spectacular. He's Here crazy. we go. So this is the Morpheus stance, hands behind the back. <laughs> this is great. He's ignoring him. A little passive aggressive. Yeah. Commander Locke. Here we go. Spoken to the other captains. Right. <laughs> oh god Morpheus is such Such a rebel He's a rebel among rebels Yep Yep Commander Locke is never wrong Because he's a military perspective And he doesn't believe Right. I don't, this was important early in the movie that not only were there people who doubted the article and the prophecies, but that people high up doubted it. Although we'll see the elders, including Cornell West, who's in this movie, are believers. But Locke is not, and he's a pure military mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God damn it, Morpheus. Right. This is, this is the Kierkegaard thing. Not everyone believes what you believe. My beliefs do not require it. It's the leap of faith Kierkegaard mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So, and this is the Messiah. They had to show that people in the Matrix were starting to hear about Neo and be a Messiah. Right. People know the ships are coming back. Military action is happening. They know something is up. But they also know Morpheus is giving a big speech tonight, which is both exciting and scary to what people... So this guy, um, whose name I always forget, he was a major character in Lost. He's a TV actor. He's been in some films. Um, he's actually a better actor than a lot of the crew in the first movie, who were sort of overacting, but kind of on purpose. They were supposed to be sort of caricatures. This is all Zion. This is all Zion. Yeah, that's the whole thing. <coughs> right. Morpheus says, go ahead. Remove me from... Right. Right. If it's up to me, you'd never step on a ship. I'm grateful it's not up to you. Oh, man. Morpheus. He's not wrong, he's just an asshole, as the dude would say. Here we go. The first and main council member. This guy's great. Old school character actor. Yeah. He's always smiling. You think he's kind of evil at first, because he's always got that little twinkle in his eye, but it's more just that he's a, he's a free mind and a free thinker, as we'll see. And he's very interested in Neo and is a believer. Yeah, might I advise discretion? Right, he gives the... He's trying to be pragmatic and not oversell the military stuff is Locke. Right. Panic. Yeah. He, and then he asks Morpheus as if he's an equal. Uh, the truth. Yep. Yeah. Right. Nothing to fear. 
And we'll see this more with Morpheus' speech. Spoiler alert, Morpheus is totally wrong. They've vastly breached the gates of Zion in the third movie. We've freed more minds in six months than six years. So while the machines are getting closer and they're getting scared, they think it's because the machines are getting afraid of of how powerful the humans are getting and how easily they're getting minds out. Right, I do not believe a matter of hope, a matter of time. So Morpheus claims that choice is important, and the Oracle talks about choice, but whenever this stuff comes up, he gets very religious about fate and destiny and purpose and so forth. Um, and again, one of the best things in the third movie, of which, hey, this is great, making out in the elevator, as Simi and I uh, uh, hypothesized, Jane and Cassian did a little bit of this in the elevator in Rogue One before they die on the beach. <laughs> So Wachowskis have no idea how to write love stories at this point, but the chemistry of these two actors is just great. Watch this, Karen Moss. Oh, man. She, she's a great eye actor. Scarlett Johansson is in that category mm-hmm. of eye actors. So again, first time I'm seeing this, this is all sort of so obvious. You know, okay, he's the Messiah. They want him to bless their kids. They're giving him offerings. But again, it's what are you fighting for? And also showing that not everyone's like Locke. Actually, most people are not. And that's part of why Locke Dad is so pissed at this point is because he feels it's getting out of control that most of the sort of the common folk of Zion are starting to believe via Morpheus and Neo. How, how do the common folk know about uh, his whole backstory? Because it's just word of mouth. I see. Yeah, that he's how he's the first one to take down agents. He can fly. That that stuff, you know. In these, how closed the society is, that comes out pretty quickly. Where's my puss? <laughs> oh, Gina Torres, man. This is before Firefly. She's so great as Zoe in Firefly and Serenity. This is one of the most beautiful women on the planet. Marvin Gaye's daughter, Nona Gay. She's a singer. She occasionally acts. Okay, so there's Gina Torres, who is very... She never smiles this much in all of Firefly because she's such a hard ass. Okay, so those are, those are Gina Torres's kids. Uh-huh. She was married to one of the dead brothers, of which the other woman was her brothers. Oh. So they're all family, essentially. He's the one that's going to get it. He thinks it's one thing? Mm? <laughs> Wait till you see this face and this body. I'm sorry, people. I, I appreciate all forms of beauty, but she is just absolutely stunning, especially when she's pouty, which is most of the movie. Who's, who's your mom? I don't know. I mean, she's tatted up, but who cares? Look at that face and hair. Right, so they've had this argument before. Mm. She wants him off the ship. He knows that he's invaluable. It, he can't not and while he seems skeptical early on we see that that even the skeptics are starting to believe this was important and they sell it through link yeah dozer's one of the brothers Cass was gina torres's character whose husband died obviously Mm -hmm. oh look at her she's so cute of course, everyone looks great in sort of these rags. I mean, it's like Ray's uniform in Star Wars, you know? What's her, her musical genre? I don't know. I don't know how they cast her, how they found her. She's great. And she, by the way, she's not just a pouty wife. She fights like a motherfucking badass in the third movie. Mm-hmm. Another great part. Right. After being on that ship and seeing Neil do the things he did... I gotta say, I'm starting to believe. Even the skeptics. 
and she's religious as, as we're going to see it. Um, not in this scene, in a later scene, she's, she's very spiritual and religious. And so she can't completely argue and deny. Oh man. Yeah. Kid? Yeah, that's the kid, which is exactly how he runs in the cartoon. I don't know if they must have filmed this. So this is, yeah, this is clearly a fake set. Who cares? All right, so what's coming up, well, even though he sounds like Yoda, which I think is intentional, is one of the great speeches ever by Morpheus. Listen to this cheer when Morpheus... Right, let us give thanks. You know, this is all very, you know, Jewish, Catholic, yeah, you know. Very religious. Yep. Now I would like someone else to Yeah. So we know via this that the counselor, who we don't know is a total good guy at this point, is either a, a believer of Morpheus and Morpheus' vision or is just using it. It's actually a combination of both. I see. Yep. Look at all the people of color. Almost no white people. Yeah. Very intentional by the Wachowskis. Now, of course, how do people in the middle of Africa get a computer access? Who cares? Uh, speaking of stunning, Jada Pinkett, it looks amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she looks amazing here. She looks amazing in her captain's uniform. Oh, man. Look at that chiseled... Ju- I mean, not chiseled, he's jacked. What many of you have heard? All right, we'll listen to the speech. Tell me if you think he starts sounding like Yoda as this goes on. Mm. He's not going to lie. He said he's going to tell the truth, and he is. We must first shed our fear of it. It's like a Yoda, yeah. I stand here before you now, truthfully, unafraid. Mm-hmm. Why? And he does believe he's not because fearful. Right. No. This is his, always his talking point. Without fear, because I remember. Yeah, memory is important. M- memory of what they've been through. Right. Again, this is a Jedi thing. The Yeah. Wow, 100 year war. 100 years war. Turns out to be way longer than that, but in their history it's 100 years. But this is only 6 months after the Matrix, right? Yep. Yep. This is his main Yeah. Which again, it, it, <laughs> Is true, but isn't really a reason to believe that you'll still be here right. it, for more than 24 hours. But this is the important part, and this is directly from Dune, Dad. They don't take hallucinogenics here as far as we know, but in Dune, the poor Fremen of the desert who tune out to be the agents of the Messiah... Right, red cord of black sky. This is beautiful. Um, they have what they call spice orgy occasionally, where they all take hallucinogenics, and it's. But it's just because their lives are so freaking hard, they just need to let go. So this is way over the top with lots of beautiful people, including naked women dancing. But it's shot amazingly, and with the industrial music, it's spectacular. A little stomp action going on. This is great. So these are all the sort of leaders hanging out on the side. I remember. This is great. I remember. Mm Mm-hmm. You used to dance. Here it comes. Oh, man. Jada. (laughs) Yeah. There's some things. Mm Mm-hmm. That will never change. Still a good dancer. Mm Mm-hmm. So pretty. I'm so pretty. 
We already have the aggressive uh, masculinity going on. That's the thing. Morpheus is is sort of manly how he looks in in fighting, but he's a very sensitive guy, obviously. Here we go. Chelsea's love this orgy stuff. There's a bunch of orgy stuff in Sense8. Yep. I mean, this makes way more sense. Ooh, boy. This makes way more sense if if you've read Dune. It's a direct tribute to the Spice Orgy, but... You know, most people probably thought this was over the top. And this is the big sex scene. This is the one and only straight up sex scene between these two that's coming up. In all three movies, this is it? Yeah, we've seen them kiss, and we'll see them kiss again. Yeah. Yep. Mm hmm. I'm trying to remember in Dune if the main character, Paul, leaves with his love, Chani. Um, Yeah, I mean, these. Part of the thing is, this is one of those scenes where you that on repeat watchings you can breathe and just enjoy the beauty of this. Boom, he hits the drum. Now the industrial music comes in. Straight up techno. People, I mean, the dance parties I used to go to, the African stuff in New York, it wasn't naked or as sexy as this, but the the vibe of people jumping around and just going nuts with drumming and, and, you know, music was somewhat similar to this. Oh, man, Nona Gay got, oh, man. Sorry, guys. I I just, I never get tired of of Nona Gay in these movies. Here they go. Is she in all three? No. All the people of everyone but Morpheus, Neo, and Trinity, and Smith, obviously, are new. Nakedness, Carrie and Moss. We're going to see some straight up boobies, tetes, coming up in the dance scene if you watch closely. Uh, by the way, this was, they said, extremely hard because they actually had like a thousand people and they had to do this all day in one day, and people were so hot. And this was like a million takes put together because mostly people got really tired. But they picked the right shots where, you know, beautiful or interesting people are just jumping. Again, great with the slow-mo. And this is a really just badass, sexy well, techno the, song. the metal tabs that they have on their bodies? So the people who were born free don't have those, but if you were born in the Matrix, it's too um, dangerous to remove everything, and they need to go back into the Matrix. So the disadvantage of being born in Zion is that you can't actually go in the Matrix and be a total hero. They can, and you'll see they you know stick the thing in the back of their head whenever they go in. Um, it's tough. I mean, they really make it look like it's in the skin. Um... And the fact that they don't fall off with the, these sex scenes, it's... She's, she's a darn good face actor. Oh, yeah, she's one of the best, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's in the eyes, but, yeah. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> Some boobies for you uh, heterosexual men out there, or uh, women who like women, or just people who appreciate beauty. I mean, this this whole thing is full of gorgeous people. Oh, yeah, look at that guy. That's the thing. Guys like that at the African dance parties is great. They poured water all over them, but that a lot of that sweat because the room was so hot. And I know this is weird to say that this is like the what are you fighting for contrasted to like the chaste relationship between Captain America and Haley Atwell. It's Peggy Carter, for example, but this is more realistic. I mean, sex is part of love. Oh, there's the O-Face. Oh, man. The best O-Face in all of cinema right there. Oh, man. Keanu Reeves just killing it. 
But she, what's great is that is Carrie Ann Moss as a better actress, straight up dramatic actress. Oh, here's the vision. Better actress than Keanu. Oh, totally. Um, she acts like the Trinity to Neo in the movie in terms of raising his game. She's the Rock. This is the Leia Han thing. The Han Solo turns out to be more like the traditional female sensitive yeah, yeah. character, and the right. woman turns out to be the Rock. Yeah, I can't lose you. So. You know, all the movies, flaws or not, have a few parts that make no sense. And one of them is that up until the point that this vision is almost completely realized and she almost dies later on, he never tells her what the vision is. He should tell her um, so that she's more careful. Um, but this is, That's like the y- Yoko Ono and John Lennon shot. Yep, um, don't think that's a coincidence. Look at this. They keep pulling out. It's yeah. beautiful. Look at that little arch there. They did a nice job with that. Here we go. I didn't see any, any boobies in that. There, there are. I mean, they have clear cl- clothing. Oh, that I saw, but I meant with yeah. her. No, with no, 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 no. Just buttocks. Good yeah, he really loves. So what's interesting, Dad, as we'll find out, is that the messiahs are normally bred uh, to have a general love for all people, but what changes is that Neo specifically has a great love for a specific person, and that comes into play. All right, this is great. This is extremely key for the third movie, one of the best parts. This guy right here, Bane. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll see. So he comes through, and whoop! Uh-oh! This is one of the best lines. Straight in. Oh, God. Smith will suffice. (laughs) So Smith is about to leave the Matrix and enter the real world, which is so scary. But it also is setting up that the Matrix is controlling people in the real world without them knowing. My pleasure. (laughs) Look at this look on their face. It's great, you know. In V, he's be- V for Dada, He's behind a mask. Spectacular actor. Yeah. He plays Elrond the Elf, who's like the ultimate wise good guy in the Lord of the Rings. But this is the role he was born to play. Nope. Neo feels something. Another hint that he can feel things. So he's got some uh, precognition going. On. Basically, we're going to learn without total exposition that because of his connection, his power within the Matrix, he's developing a kind of Wi-Fi connection to the Matrix and therefore can feel anything that has to do with the machine world in and out. Here we go. Here we go. This is the first extended philosophical talk that's about to happen here. With Between it, him and who? The counselor, the old counselor guy. Oh. And this is the stuff that I love and think of, th- thought about so much and think about. Yeah. Um, but to the normal person, after a bunch of bizarreness already in Zion, it can turn up, um, you might find this slow. That's no, uh, a nice uh, breather here. Well, the, you know, the, the, the key is after this scene, it's an hour and 15 minutes of tons of action uh, and movement. Like everyone's sleeping very peacefully. Right. Look at his face. He's such a. He's just smiling. He's Not like, everyone. He's like a Zen monk. Uh-huh. Here's a great line coming up. You think he's saying I never sleep because I'm an old guy, but he's saying I slept. I was basically sleepwalking in the Matrix, and so now I want to be awake as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. It's a good sign of what. Yeah. 
you know, mm. then he has some human character. By the way, Dad, a major problem, especially with the sequels, it, I have this term, it's called the of what problem, which is when someone hints at something they're about to say, the Wachowskis always have the other character say, of what, or of why, or what. And it's a little bit of sloppy writing where you don't need that and just have the person pause and then say the thing. All right, here we go. They're in the engineering section of, of Zion. The only time we really see the guts of how this runs. Right, nobody cares how it works as long as it works, Dad, which describes our society too, right? Yep. Here it comes, right. We survived because of these machines. These machines are keeping us alive. Other machines are coming to kill us. Another hint of what's to come. Yep. Neil calls him out multiple times on his... Uh, Circular reasoning, um, but that's part of what makes him a funny old man. Listen to this, right? We are plugged into these machines. He's. I mean, the movie is hinting so strongly that they're not really fully out of the matrix in a way. Levels of control. The counselor has a sense of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is, what is control? That's what this movie's about, guys. First movie's about reality. This movie's about control. Oh, this guy's very good. He's fantastic. He did a great job delivering this. Yeah. yeah. And it was important that we saw the Council of Elders was, were creative, were smart, were a little eccentric, but also were believers. Yep. And this, of course, is also describing our society. What if our machines, you know, our air conditioning stopped working, our heating stopped working? No point. Right. No point. Old right, old men. Right. I mean, we can be. Wait, hold on. There's no point. Is that why young, there's no young men on the council? Good point. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say we become dependent upon them, but that doesn't mean that they control us. We do control them. And that's what the council are saying. We're dependent upon what they deliver to us. Right. And Neo said earlier. He said the difference is we can smash these machines if we want, but then he says we could smash them. But then what about our heat, our air, and our water? Right. So. We we control them in theory because we could destroy them, but we're so dependent on them that we couldn't actually. Right here's and the music comes in. He says, "I don't know." Yeah, this is Eastern philosophy versus Western philosophy, Dad. This is the difference between why Eastern philosophy is superior is Western philosophy is obsessed with the why. Eastern philosophy is all about the how. How do we live together? What about they're all about ethics. You know, practical stuff. Yeah, they just accept that there's a cosmos that's somewhat mysterious, and we have to live as well as possible. Western philosophy is metaphysics. You know, the deep. What's you know, and that's actually the shift in this movie with all the Christian stuff. Oh my God, look at her! Um, With all the Christian stuff, Dad. Like I said, in the first movie, it's all about what is real, what is truth. That's all really Descartes. um, You know. uh, Socrates stuff mm-hmm. in this one like I said it's about control which is more to do with ethics and the relationship between people or in this case between here it comes you guys know I like full bodied women mm, look at that face sorry I'll try and keep this professional yeah coming back mm-hmm. so like I said with Smith, Dad, one thing that people agree upon, even if they don't like or love the sequels, is almost all the main characters, especially of color, are amazing, whether they know who they are or not. 
mean, even Cornell West delivers his line. All right, here's here's Smith slash Bain experiencing the. You know, he gives that whole speech in the first movie. It's the smell, how he hates humans and how they smell and they're bloody and they're sweaty and it's disgusting. Who is this guy? This is Smith in Human Body. Oh, I see. Yep. And you're like, okay, why does he want to kill Neo so badly? We'll find out. Alright, how does the blood not get on Neo's hand here? Oh well. We'll see you. (laughs) Yeah. They found the perfect guy. He delivers Smithens. So this is this is just to remind people the first movie about the spoon bending, which is you know, the Jedi thing of you know, Luke raising the or Yoda raising the X Wing from the swamp to teach Luke that you know if you it as as the little young orphan in the first movie says is don't bend the spoon, bend your mind and the spoon will follow, basically. Uh here it comes. <laughs> He's going right at the counselor. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he is still the military commander. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I mean, this is the main argument. And Locke ends up being right, actually, for most of the third movie, in that they need all the ships because they really do get assaulted by 250,000 sentinels. Mm-hmm. Here he goes. Now, in the first movie, when they visit the Oracle, he hasn't realized his powers, and so they need to send the whole crew to help him. Here, they're not worried about it, because he's so much more powerful than any amount of other people they send. All right, Dad, another great character introduced here, and as we'll learn, the Oracle is much more powerful than we think. This guy's unbelievable. Watch this. So, Neo can see the Matrix code as green everywhere, Dad. But this guy is something else. Oh, he's all, all energy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Here it comes. Seraph. He's huge in the third movie. And helping the cause. Here we go. Apologize for what? Yeah, this is so Chinese. I love this. Oh, watch this. This fight. I mean, you'll see, Dad. Charlie Cox is amazing just as a puncher brawler. But watch the... I mean... Look at this. Oh, man. I mean, it's so thematic. All the fights in this movie are so different thematic. Did they hit the chopsticks yet? No. Okay. Here it comes. Look at this. I mean, this is a combination of so many fighting styles. That much I know. Boom. Here it comes. Oh, there are the chopsticks. <laughs> yeah. Look at this. Looks like it, you know, it's like this cute little Chinese restaurant with no one in it. Here we go. Right, here's an interesting piece of philosophy. I don't know if I. Yeah, here it comes. I don't know if I agree with the philosophy coming out. There it is. Of what? You could have just asked. <laughs> You don't know someone to truly fight them. I mean, that's a modified version of the dark nihilistic thing I talk about, the sadistic philosophy of you don't really know someone until you torture them and see if they're a coward or a real person. 
But he's referring specifically to the Matrix. Oh, here we go, Dad. This is in Feist. This is in Raymond E. Feist, what he calls the Hall of Worlds, which is that there are certain places in places you would never expect, like an old uh, pub or some, an old tavern, that lead to an endless corridor that essentially looks like this, that leads to all sorts of dimensions and worlds. Are you a programmer? Yeah. These are called backdoors, which, of course, you know, is a blatant computer reference that they mean to do. Yeah, yeah. Right, I protect that which matters most. It seems mysterious, but on repeat watchings, you know for sure he's referring to the Oracle. Here she is, one of the best parts of the first movie. And if you like the philosophy, I know the counselor talk with Neo is great, but this is really where it starts. This is really, really, really where it starts. So talking about the first movie, they say the Oracle. You think it's going to be this yeah. this gorgeous Oracle of Delphi, and it's this old, smoking, somewhat overweight black woman. It's great. Turn out. Turn out right, didn't you? How do you feel? Do you feel? Oh, yeah. I know you're not. I know you're not. All right. They never fully explain, again, her ability to know things in the real world, but we find out, basically, that she knows about the cycle of messiahs, and so she's used to having this conversation with other people. I see. Right. Here it comes. <laughs> it's like a New York neighborhood. Yeah. I felt like saying, so. I know. You know, there's that famous scene in the first movie where she says, don't worry about the vase, and he goes, what vase? And he turns and he breaks the vase, and she goes, what's really going to bake your noodle later is would you have broken it if I hadn't said anything? <laughs> right. Yeah. So Neil's already... Yep, it's a program from the machine world. So this is important. It's not just his physical powers. Neo's brain is moving extremely fast. He knows that she's a program and not just another person. Another yep, another kind of control. He's right. Keep going. Keep going. I suppose the most mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Right. If she's a program. Bingo. Bingo. Yep. It's a pickle. <laughs> she's so great. Mm-hmm. So it's really up to you. Just have to make up your own damn mind. Yeah. Accept what I'm going to tell you or reject it. Mm. <laughs> Do you already know if I'm going to take it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be much of an oracle? Here it comes about choice. That's the other thing. Yep. So free will and determinism, Dad, is a huge part of these movies. And for better or worse, by the end of the third movie, the Wachowskis come strongly on the side of determinism. Mm. Smith starts talking about inevitability and how all this stuff is inevitable in this movie. Mm. And at the very end of the third, after their epic fight with each other, Neo admits that the whole thing was inevitable. It's interesting. Right. We're all here to do what we're all here to do. This is the purpose thing, right? We all have a purpose. Yeah, the future, right? So, as we're going to see, Dad, she was was working directly for the Matrix construct, but now she's a freelancer and is actually trying to help people. The problem is, like the first movie, she can't tell him everything because he would reject it. As smart as he's gotten, right? Programs running all over the place. Yeah. This line up here I don't love, where she talks about people who see vampires and ghosts is actually the Matrix malfunctioning. 
but you know, I can. for the average watcher, I can understand that connection. I think she's just trying to relate to him on a human level. In fact, there's a whole, there's a whole Animatrix episode, Dad, um, where there's an abandoned building that's malfunctioning, and these kids discover it, and they can fly, and they can do all sorts of stuff. And it's like this beautiful little utopia they've discovered, but the, matri- but the agents find out about it, and they shut it down and the kids go back and there's nothing there and it's really sad because even though it's fake and it's part of the matrix they don't know that and it's these sort of poor kids who had nothing else magical in their lives really interesting uh, here's the source yep so she's done this five or six times before and she's doing it and so the question after this movie is Actually, maybe we shouldn't trust the Oracle because she's just continuing seemingly what the Matrix want to do. It seems like it. She talks about a door made of light. We actually haven't seen that. So, again, great writing there. They don't need to show us him seeing the door of light. Right, here's the dream. And something happens. Yep. So this is prescience, another major part of Dune um, with the Messiah, is that they can see the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. You never know whether the Oracle's being honest or not. And she's not lying to be evil, but she often lies because it's what they need to hear at a certain point. So she's saying you have the light, but this could just be a pump-up speech. Here it comes. That's it. Determinism right there. Right. The hopeful part of all this is even if we live in a deterministic world, we have the ability to choose to understand it or not. Which is very Taoist, by the way, Dad. Because in Taoism, it's all about doing the most... What if I can't? What's the word I'm looking for? You know, do do the most good and cause the least harm, basically. Which is also Western philosophy. Following the the, the Tao. And so mathematically, if you follow the Tao how you're supposed to, are you really choosing it? Here's the example I often use is if you... Papa Bizzle, if you woke up one day and you knew what the right choice was for everything in your life, and and you are a truly good person, do you have free will? In a way, you do, because you could choose to do the wrong thing, right? But in theory, when all men with power want more power, right? The Frenchman coming up is another spectacular character in terms of world building. Yeah. So, even more so than Age of Ultron, Dad, one of people's problems also with this film, whether they realize it or not, is the acts are very, very divided and clear between slow dialogue, philosophical talk and drama, versus action. It's been mostly talking so far, this movie, but the action is about to go crazy through the roof. I think it's been nicely directed and edited. This is great. <laughs> Here it comes. This, most people hate what's coming up. Not this conversation, but the fight that's happening. Because it's so blatantly CGI. But I think it just looks choreography-wise amazing. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> He's so great. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 
Right. Neo, we, Neo's not telling them everything. He's not going to tell them most of what the Oracle told them. He's not even going to tell them what happens at the end when he goes to the source. Because he's learning like what the Oracle does. Okay, here we go. Let's watch this. Yep. So we think he's exploded after the first movie, but... So... If Neo's the one... Smith's is the zero. That's the binary thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I killed you, Mr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. I watched you die. This is so great. <laughs> <laughs> and then something happened. Yep. Is Weaving a Brit or American? Australian. That's why his accent's so good. You destroyed me. Afterward, I right. Rules. I so... He hated that he was sort of an agent of the system in the first movie, but now he's pissed that he doesn't have a purpose. Right, compelled to disobey. Yep. The speech is so good. Yep. Right, no longer an agent of the system. Mm hmm. Unplugged. A new man. <laughs> uh, apparently free. Not free. Apparently free. But appearances can be deceiving. This is it, Dad. This is the nihilism right here. Watch this. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we'll see, Morpheus also believes in sort of the positivistic version of this. Yeah. Right. Right. So this is a mixture of nihilism and I guess this would be the definition of fatalism, right? In terms of fate. That in some ways we have no choice and there's also no meaning. Mm-hmm. Right. They want to kill him because now they don't have a purpose. Even though they're free. He doesn't want to be free. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. They call this the Burly Man fight coming up. I love it. And no one's tried to do anything like this again. Here we go. Do you want me to tell you when it's CGI and it's not, or I'll just I'll just shut yeah, my mouth. Yeah, do. Oh, you want me to tell you? Okay. Some of it you'll know. There's tons of kung fu stuff here. Like you'll hear like bowling pins when he hits a bunch of them, it's like bowling pins going down. So this is all practical. They found, you know, 50 people who look mostly like Hugo Weaving. If you look too closely in the background, you can kind of see it, but who cares? Yeah, so he is fighting all these guys. Mm -hmm. There's the Matrix theme, which sounds just like the Batman theme. Yep, still practical. He's on strings. Yep, that was practical too. It's not all Keanu Reeves, but it's all practical. I mean, this choreography is just awesome. and gets awesomer. The main sort of three giant battles in this movie are among the best ever. So people who say it's too CGI, I'm like, watch the first 80% of the fight. Oh man, look at that. 
the music's great. There's a little bit of light um, vocal stuff coming up. Um, here we go. This is great. You're like, okay, this is going to be a normal agent? Yeah, watch this. <laughs> this is great. Yes, me. <laughs> nice. Me, me, me. <laughs> Fatalism, nihilism, selfishness. It's great. He's all the worst things. Me too. See, I, I think that's brilliant writing. Uh, steps on the tomato. I mean, that's so Jackie Chan. Okay, Dad, it's about to start getting somewhat CGI. This is still all practical. Don't ask me how. Yep. Oh, yeah. Still all practical. This is it. So you're, Dad, so you must be wondering, why isn't he flying away, right? Yeah. Well, he needs to test the situation out. He needs to figure out if he can defeat Smith. And as we see, he's not going to be able to defeat Smith in fighting in either of the sequels. Okay, that's CGI. CGI. Now they're back to practical. But when it goes full CGI, the spinning of the camera, this is CGI right here. It still looks great to me. I mean, how in every Marvel movie we see, there are parts where we can tell. CGI cap and so forth. Here we go. Oh, this is awesome, Dad. Watch this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and look at the look on the other Smiths. What? Watch this. This is why Keanu's the best. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. And it's important that... Okay, this is all CGI. Th this entire part coming up is CGI, but look how great this looks, just in terms of choreography. Wow. Who, you, you know my theory, Dad. It, just make it look cool and dynamic. I don't care if I can tell it's CGI. This is a great part coming up where he just spins around and kicks all of them. Boom. So, but look, they put in some practical... Keanu there to sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, Neo's used to being able to take down the agents, so he's trying to see if he can fight his way out of this. Here it comes, I think. Oh, this is great. Look at this shot coming up. They're coming out, it's like the schoolyard. Okay, here it comes. Here comes the great spinning CGI shot. CGI, CGI, I love it. Look at this. You still have to film this. Um, you know? George Lucas specifically uh, talks... Oh, here it is. Yeah, watch this. <laughs> but they put Keanu's face on there. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Look at this. Do you think this is cool? I think this is amazing. Yeah, no, it's, it's like a, a, a martial ballet. There it is. There's the bowling pin sound. I mean, it's so dynamic and just beautiful to watch. But the, the weapon fight coming up later against, like, the five dudes. Here he goes. Listen to what Smith says here. That's the theme going forward from here till the end of the trilogy. Look at, yes, the suplex. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wrestling moves. Yeah. 
Oh, there's the bowling pins right there. And Superman Thang. He's not going to fight his way out of that one. <laughs> now this shot, I don't know how they did. Look at the, this is all Hugo Weavings. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll get him next time. Here we go. Now there's there's going to be some philosophizing coming up, but it's really weird and different and leads to the last 30, 40, 45 minutes. <laughs> A lot more. Mm-hmm. Right, so Smith calls humans viruses in the first, but now he's the virus. Here comes what? That's the of what problem. You don't need that. Just have him take... I know it seems like a small thing, but they just do it so much. This guy's great. Yeah, he's a brilliant commander, as we'll see in the third movie. He really is trying to stop him. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Dad... Just like Locke is correct that they will get invaded and Morpheus is wrong, Morpheus ends up being right about Neo being the um, messiah, but accidentally, because Neo ends up saving them for a reason Morpheus never would have guessed or thought. So they're both right in person. Look at her look. Look how beautiful she is. Mm-hmm. There's Cornell West. Yeah. Cornell West, terrible politics, Brilliant philosophical minds. <laughs> he nails it. He does commentaries for all three movies, Dad, on the DVD, and they're spectacular. I quote him in my papers. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's barely able to control how angry he is about... Yeah. This is a mirror of what Morpheus said, right. Comprehension is not a requisite of cooperation. Well, in, in, in the military world, that is true. Here we go. Right, so they call for volunteers going against his authority to go help Morpheus. Yes. Yeah, this guy's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Here comes. Here comes. This is the biggest... This might be the biggest choice in in the movies. Uh, uh-oh. Any man. Captain Niobe of the Logos. Oh, no. Thank you, Captain Yeah. Niobe, of course, sounds like an African princess name. It's great. Actually, no, Niobe is a, um Egyptian goddess, I believe. Yep. What I can. What I can. <laughs> Here it comes. Because some things never change, Jason. <laughs> some things do. She's so great. Why isn't she in more movies? Maybe she doesn't want to be. Doesn't want the thing is, you need to see her in the third when she's flying. She's the best pilot they have. She's like Poe, you know? She's yeah. their best. Look at the. Watch this. <laughs> 
Uh, here it comes. So again, this is the second or third major philosophical scene coming up. That's way more than it seems. But if you just see the movie once and you're expecting action the whole time. But Dad, people forget there are only two major action set pieces in all of the original movie. It's mostly talking, training. (laughs) You're going to love this. He's a German who speaks in French. He's so intolerable. Okay, so watch this. It's This is very quick, but this guy is very important in the third movie. Philosophically, right there. That Indian guy. He's look like the, those marble uh, pillars that they, that they shot up. Oh, my God. Monica Bellucci. Yikes. I mean, her versus Sophia Loren in her prime, I don't know. Here we go. Could you turn this up a little bit? Yeah. You already hate him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something to eat? Like my wife and her breasts. <laughs> to, to, to quote uh, Courtney Cox in Seinfeld, yeah. they're real and they're spectacular. So he... <laughs> these oh guys... Yeah, look at these albino twins. Yeah. I love French language. Oh, man. By the way, he gets pissed at Persephone in a bit and he starts cursing in German. Okay, so these two are way more important and way older than you think, but I don't want to spoil it, so I'm, I'll wait. The twins? No, no. Oh, the, the, the French, couple. the Merovingian. Uh-huh. By the way, Dad, you know the Mer- Merovingians? Yeah. It's like the ancient line, you know, supposedly in Europe that goes back to biblical times. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, look at her. I know, look at her. <sighs> She's like, I think, at least 40 or 45 here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But do you? Yep. Right. So he's saying, Neo's saying, you know about the source without saying it. But he is going to be condescending and say, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And he's right, but he's such an asshole. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. He's about to echo what Smith says, right? Causality. This determinism. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everything begins with choice. Yep. No. Yep. Wrong. Choice. Morpheus is it's very divided between purpose and choice. Mm-hmm. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Watch this. You're not gonna believe what's about to happen. It's affecting everyone around So obvious, so bourgeois, so boring. This is so Wachowski and what's about to happen. So he programmed something in there. I went to myself. You're like, what's going to happen with this kink? Poetry. He's not wrong. The, the Matrix is like poetry. Mm-hmm. So again, he's a freelancer. He's he's kind of a criminal, according to the machines. 
but he has power. You start seeing where this is going. Soon the why and the reason are gone. I know that matters is the feeling. He's getting so turned on watching her get turned on. What's what's affecting her though? Did he write a program? He wrote a program to give her an orgasm. She's. A, they're gonna show it in code between her legs. It's great. There it comes. Uh, uh, <laughs> her, 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 her vagina in code. Right, out of control. So he's, you know, he's using orgasms as a metaphor for our lack of control. Mm-hmm. Now it's unclear because he's a person of power, Dad, and he considers himself a person of power. He says choice is an illusion between those with power and those with not. So the question is, do those in power have choice? He doesn't answer that. Right. This is the Western philosophy thing, Dad. That they're that they're criti- critiquing. He's obsessed with the why. That's such a Western thing. Is why as opposed to what and how. <laughs> <laughs> he, he of course knows that Oracle sent them. Run back. <laughs> fortune telling. Yep. Look at the Oracle he's referring to. Yeah, he's coming after the or- Everyone's coming after the Oracle, as you'll say. Smith's the one that ultimately gets to her, although she survives. Uh, the keymaker. So, you know, there's uh, the whole Alice in the Looking Glass down the rabbit hole is a huge theme in the first one. They continue it here. Uh huh. That's why I'm comparing her to Sophia Loren. Uh huh. Oh, She's actually more refined looking than Sophia Loren. Uh. Touch me. <laughs> oh, Trinity. What's this? <laughs> uh huh. Here, Morpheus is about to. Right, so Morpheus just said everything begins with choice, and now he's saying everything is purposeful. Oh my god. Between <laughs> Monica Bellucci and Nona Gay, forget about it. Forget about it. So this is another scene people hate, but this is actually extremely important. Pompous prick. Yep. By the way, when she says a long time ago, it's a really long time ago. Intense. Look at the, how they shoot this. Watch. He says, he was like you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want you to kiss me as if you were Right, this is like a twisted Disney thing. Why? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so machines being able to or wanting to love is extremely important in the mythology of all this. But uh, unless you see the movies a lot and watch the anime anime part, you don't really get it. But that's what that's what the rebellious machines are going for. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Such emotion. Mm-hmm. It's so small. Yeah. I mean, Hogarth is such a badass in a different, such a different way. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good promise. Watch. They don't have to say anything. Look at that face work. No eyes. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that Indian guy we saw for two seconds, he, in the beginning of the next movie, tries to smuggle his daughter out. Daughter. He's a machine. Because he loves her. And that's not acceptable to the rulers of the machine world. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> this is important. Yep. Takes the glasses off. Oh, look at her. She's so mad. Oh my god, Monica Bellucci. God bless you. This this is what I call proof of God. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, right. Oh, this is such a sexy kiss. You know, normally, you know, Dad, I hate kissing in sex in movies, yeah. but when it serves the plot, like with the sex scene earlier in this, you gotta love it. Yeah, it certainly serves the plot. Here. By the way, Matrix Code, all the water in the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. That's intentional. Yep, she wants to feel it. Right. Question is, does she want to feel love or just sensuality? Either way, it's revolutionary for a machine. Mm Mm-hmm. By the way, everyone's a program at this point, Dad, besides the three of them. If someone's not a program, I'll tell you. Her throat is is, is, is all red. She really reacted to it. Do you see how her Uh throat is red? Do you see what she said? Such a thing is not meant to last. Oh, here we go. Back to the Hollow Worlds, baby. I love this. You know. You know, in Feist, only the greatest, like, wizards can do this stuff. But that's sort of what's happening here. Okay. So this is the best hand-to-hand, quote-unquote, fight coming up in the entire trilogy. You're not going to believe it because it's completely practical and it's with medieval weapons. <laughs> oh, look at these two thugs. What's the movie they're showing? I don't know, some vampire movie. Hmm. <laughs> The revealing of clues throughout this movie is brilliant on multiple watchings, but when you first see it, it must be so confusing. Okay, silver bullets, Dad. Silver is for killing monsters. As as you'll see in The Witcher, he carries two swords. Steel to kill bad guy humans, and silver to kill monsters. That's an old European thing. He's in the ladies' room. She knows exactly what he's up yeah, to. I thought that's where he was going. And guess who he's effing? Orgasm girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this is great. So this guy coming up must be a program of some sort, but I don't know. Look at this. Oh man. Look at her face. Stone cold. Uh huh. Yeah. I've been waiting for you. I mean, they keep hinting this has all happened before. Yeah. <laughs> Here it comes. 
It says It says French but it's German Guter Merde Cousin effect Yeah <laughs> What cause? Uh huh Oh this is a great bit here <laughs> she wasn't kissing your face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch. Right, it's a game. Right. That's what he thinks people in power should do: is just play the game. That's a very Game of Thrones attitude. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's ever clear. This stuff makes zero sense, but it's a cool effect. That's a nice trick. Here comes Dad. Here comes your predecessors. More information. Oh yeah, baby. Look at that. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Alright, here it comes. The, the, the best fight in the trilogy. Maybe the best extended fight in modern cinema. You'll tell me what you think. Just watch the detail of every move and every weapon they use. All of these guys are like a thousand percent pros. Great cutting between the two things going on, as you'll see. Thanks. Yeah. Morpheus trying to keep up with her. Amazing music, too. Oh, the morning star right into his head. Yeah. This guy's using a shield. Those are a size Raphael and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Whoa. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. This is this doesn't make sense. You can bleed in the matrix, you can die in the matrix. Never totally makes sense. Who cares? He's just a man. Alright. Oh, there we go. They did that, Dad. I saw this. They really flipped him up there. Oh look at this. Look, I mean Keanu Reeves is the best. He's the best. That's why John Wick is kind of annoying, because he's just headshotting people the whole time. This is so much better. I can't wait for Matrix 4. He's still in amazing shape, as you've seen on the yeah, late night yeah. shows. Oh my god, look at him. Because these other guys aren't actors, they're just fighters. Keanu Reeves, oh man. Uh, this guy's great. I love him. He's small with the long hair. He like Here he goes. He briefly knocks him out. Boom. Watch this. Look at this ballet right here. Oh my god. That guy's got a trident? I mean, these are all weapons you use in role-playing games, because who cares? Totally unrealistic. Now he's using a straight-up... Neo is using... It's not a short sword. I think it's what they call a hand-and-a-half sword. Or maybe it's just a long sword. He's using... Right here. Boom. Boom. I'm gonna sh- what wh- wh- dad. I'm gonna t- show you the best part of, of this whole fight, rhythmically. I think it's right here. Watch this. 
No. Yeah, this is great. He's like, what? oh yeah, I pull it out. <laughs> They're not the smartest. Okay, here it comes. This guy's an idiot. It's when he's fighting the two guys from the side. We might have missed it. We might have missed it. I think we missed it. Because he's about to murder these other guys. Right here. Right here. One. Right. Boom. Right here. Watch this. Oh! Look at that! Oh my god! That might be the best move of all time with medieval weapons. I mean, the thing is, Dad, we're going to see this in The Witcher quite a bit, although he just murders people with his swords. Oh, man. See, people don't get... Ugh. <laughs> God damn it, woman. <laughs> Look at him murdered. Just stand there and watch the whole thing, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, your predecessors. Neo's trying to assimilate this information between what the Oracle said and what he's saying. Yeah. But he doesn't put it together till the end when he's straight up told. Whoop. Wow, look at that. Shit. Did you say shit? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's it happens again and he goes, shit. Oh yeah, Morpheus. Okay. I, I've see, shown you the gif with Morpheus with the sword in the car, but the lead up to it's great. Uh oh. Watch this. <laughs> Yeah. Could we move along? Oh, man. Here it is, Dad. This is it. The best, in my opinion, the best straight-up highway chase of all time coming up. And there's Audis, so you're going to love it. Oop. We get a knife fight. We get another knife fight in the car later. Yeah, she gets beat, but he's fast. Yeah. Their accent is weird. I'm not sure. They're going for these guys. I think they're British. Uh oh. What's this? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, the keymaker's great during all this. Yes, Morpheus knows he's going to need the sword. That's the other thing they get away from. Actually, Dad, the thing people don't realize is, other than the epic Smith fight at the end of the first one, yeah. it's all gunplay. This one has way more hand-to-hand. Yeah. Yeah. Way more. Yeah. And we're not even close to done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I love hand-to-hand stuff. Yeah. By the way, I know I don't need to say this. Rated R. Can we get more rated R movies, please? Yeah. Oh, here it comes. This is great. <laughs> yeah. These two are just awesome. Yeah. 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 Oh, Link. You're not going to believe this. You're in the mountains. 500 miles. No problem. Superman thing. So at the end of the third movie, him and Smith fight in the air as if it's Superman fighting Superman. Oh, yeah. There it is, baby. Oh, it's a Cadillac. My bad. Yeah. Operator. Operator. Yeah. I know. Inside the core network. Uh oh. Is Winslow Overpass? Is that Chicago? 
you know, this is all filmed in Australia, but they try to model it on Chicago. Oh, uh, here it comes. I mean, this is so brutally violent. They, you know, you can only do this in a rated R movie. No, it was Australia. I mean, a lot in Australia. The, right, the highway thing I think is it was in California, but I, I, I don't know. I'll look it up. The, look at this. They just love destruction. Mm-hmm. This is a great link thing right up here. APB. Uh-huh. This is great. Yeah. Do you remember in Ultron, Dad, when Hawkeye's flying the plane and Scarlet's on the motorcycle, he, and he's telling her, like, the directions? I love that. That scene where Scarlet goes under the truck, picks up Cap's shield, and throws it to Cap is, like, maybe the best. Yes, yeah, sir. I just, oh, I missed it. He's saying, in all my years, I've never seen anyone go on the highway and survive. And he's referencing the beginning when he says, I need you to trust me. And he goes, yes, sir, I do, sir. <laughs> Let us hope that I was wrong. Yeah. We never hear Morpheus say that. All right. It makes sense that highway would be suicide for them. Because you're trapped. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. Follow the sirens. Watch this. Right here. Oh, man. All right. So, the Wachowskis basically created the modern version of the car chase in the sense of they filmed all of this between 25 and 45 miles an hour, but they film it in extremely high-speed film so they can do super slow-mo but also speed it up. So you'll see Trinity going against traffic later on a motorcycle. They filmed it at like 25 and sped it up to 60 somehow. That is a submachine gun. <laughs> exactly the right weapon for this. I don't know how they keep missing. Uh, here it goes. He's, look at them. They love the destruction. Flipping cars. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan, of course, also likes to flip cars. I mean, you know, Dad, Ludwig Gordonson has pioneered the mix of, like, um, African and, uh, I'm sorry, hip-hop. Let's put it this way. Between Creed and Black Panther, the mix of hip-hop and orchestral, and then African orchestral. But this movie pioneered techno and orchestral. It's so seamless, you barely notice it. This is great. This is classic. What's this? I think Trinity gets in on the action. Yep. (laughs) She is always the driver. She got the reflexes. Mm-hmm. She's... They never say this, but she's the most powerful of them other than Neo. She's able to do the most Matrixy stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is great. Lawrence Fishburne, such a BA. <clears throat> uh, this is awesome. This is right. This is the thing in Winter Soldier I s- said that they were referencing. I mean, a bunch of this they reference. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, C- that's clearly CGI, but this looks great. Yeah. 
If you flip enough real cars, it starts to work. That's why the Battle of New York in the first Avengers doesn't hold up great, because it's so obvious they're flipping fake cars. This is all real. That's maybe CGI. So they basically closed off six to ten miles of highway and just kept filming over and over again. But I think you're right. I think this is... Oh, yeah. (laughs) So now you've got three-way fight. You've got the agent fighting them and the twins. The twins, of course, are way more powerful because they do the ghost thing. Oh, yeah. Look at that. And they're starting to get... What does he say? Look, at this is a cool move here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are getting aggravated. Yes, we are. <laughs> All right. I mean, not much to say here, Bizzler. It's just an unbelievable car chase. It really is. And what they do is they slowly but but consistently step up the craziness as this goes along. So far, it's just a really good car chase. But then we see stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And remember, Dad, the good guys from the Matrix have to kill real cops and FBI agents because... They're wor- those guys are working for the Matrix by accident. Yeah. It's not like in the Winter Soldier. Remember we talked about Nick Fury was killing those guys who are really Hydra? Yeah. Here they have to kill real, like, actual, like, not bad guys. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Look at this. Dun, 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 dun. This actually sounds a little bit like the Creed soundtrack with the epic parts of the fights. Here it comes. I, I've... This is one of my favorite gifts. I don't know. This is great. This took me forever to understand why this works. You're like, what is he doing hitting the side of the car? Because he's exposing the gas tank enough so that he can do this. Boom. Oh, man. I mean, do you ever see slow motion better than this? Oh, this is the best. I love this slow motion. Oh, they killed the twins. Yeah. Or maybe not. Or maybe not, yeah. Yeah, Twink. (laughs) They're a little bit different than Lyle and Simon. (laughs) Let's hope. Yeah. Oh, this is a great bit right here. Listen to this. Right, she wants to download. Yeah. (laughs) He's got the key. No need to hotwire it. Oh, man, she's so cute. Look, ooh, yeah. That black leather is just... Yeah, of course. Well, it's, you know, well, it's also practical. I talk about with Wonder Woman and Ahsoka in the cartoons who don't wear a lot of clothing. Yeah. Women need to be more agile because they're not burly, generally, these type of women. They need to be agile and move around. It's not just to look sexy, although it's not a bad side effect. Well, it's also a, a, a traditional um, motorcycle mm-hmm. garb. Do, can you think of any other examples um, of someone like Carrie Ann Moss who's a perfect combination of feminine and, and androgynous? I'm not sure I can think of any. I mean, you have women who are little masculine like Claire Danes, but it's not the same thing. No. 
Yeah. No, no, no. I know. Okay, here we go. Okay, so I've seen the behind the scenes here. This is about to get nuts. They actually filmed this between 25 and 35 miles an hour, what's coming up, and then doubled or tripled the speed. I don't know how they got the, the stunt double for the key maker to hold on. They did this. This is totally practical. Wow. And, and, I mean, you can't tell that they sped up this stuff. Whoa. Yeah, uh, this is totally mental. Even that stuff's practical. They just did it really slow. Yeah, and the cameras look like they're going under the car. So I, I don't know enough about film to explain why faster film leads to this sort of thing. Oh, yeah, baby. But there's something about filming at 200 frame, 240 frames per second that allows you to do all this. <clears throat> 240 frames per second. Yeah. Wow. That's how they do the slow-mo, too. Watch this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just need the key maker. Sweet move. Oh my god, Lawrence Fishburne. I think this is a great movie. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what people are complaining about. Right, but then think about the bizzle with the philosophical stuff with this movie. Mm-hmm. Seeing the original one as a senior in high school and this as a sophomore in college. Right, that's a great bit where they're like, ignore Trinity. Yeah. She's not important. Uh, so... Up until now, Neo's the only one to beat agents. Now, Trinity shoots one in the head at the end of the Matrix, but that's only because they're distracted by Neo. So this is an important moment. This is a big moment for Morpheus, not to mention Lawrence Fishburne doing all these moves. I mean, this clearly got to... We know there's a green screen behind them fighting, but it it looks amazing. I guess when you have a static industrial background and a wall that looks the same, it's a little bit easier. But, right, they go under the bridge. Oh, look at this. Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yes! This is called the, the flying, uh, uh, not locust. What was that bug I sent you the other day? Oh, praying mantis. That's called the praying mantis, what he just did. Yeah. Where, where was that door? Handle? That was the back door. That's what I thought. Yeah. Where, where I come in from the back door. Yeah, door. that's where I, I always leave through the yeah, back door. Yeah. That's what I thought where it was. Here we go. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's great about Morpheus is he's got a brawl, but he's he's agile enough to do the kicks. I mean, I know you love the Bourne stuff, and we talked about how great you know, this Winter Soldier one is because they're not moving half the time, but mm-hmm. epically, this is spectacular. Oh, and we're about to get the best reveal in a second. Oh! Cut the tie! Oh, yeah, baby! Oh, that takes a skill. Yes! Call back to the first movie with him fighting Neo in the training. Oh, Yes! Right, which again, they, you know, when Neo bleeds earlier, he says he's just a man. These guys aren't men. They still bleed. I don't get it. Boom, Uh-oh. there goes the sword. Uh-oh. This is this is going to be the end for Morpheus. There's no way he can survive this. How the hell is he going to get out of this, Dad? Morpheus. How the hell? Ah, uh, yeah! 
<laughs> Jada Pinkett, baby. She's good. Yeah, she is good. Did she say it? No, she didn't say it. You are no longer necessary. Right, so they want to kill the Keymaker, too. Oh, man. Stone Cold. Right. More purpose stuff. Listen to her here. Yeah. Deletion. Yeah! (laughs) She's such a badass. Her tiny little self, she's such a badass. Well, I mean, it's, you know, Carrie Fisher's tiny, too, and so's Felicity Jones. You still be badass. Oh, yeah. That's always a great effect. I don't know how they do that. Okay, so in the extended cut, so they did a video game in which Jada Pinkett Smith and that other guy, her sidekick, are the leads. And while the game wasn't supposed to be very good, the cutscenes are canon. And the guy is great, and she's great in it. He has way more to do. And there's a lot of deleted scenes in this one, too. You know, there's so many players in movies like this. You- Here it comes. Uh-oh. Watch this. What is that? Come on, Link. You know what it is. Oh man, this is awesome. Oh. <laughs> so this is so. This is maybe the most CGI shot in the movie, yeah. but well, no, you haven't even seen it yet with Neo right here. But it's just so cool. Oh, oh. I mean, come on. Yes. <laughs> Okay, here we go. So this is this is like the CIC in Battlestar. Ooh, this is their main control. Yeah. Yeah. This woman's great. She has three lines. Look, but she's a great look. She does have a great look. She looks like your sister. She looks like Haley Pfeiffer. Uh huh. I see that. Yes, sir. Scared, but trying to keep under control. Uh, here it comes. So the main action in the third movie, Dad, other than the Smith fight, which is great, is a giant sci-fi battle. And it looks awesome. And I actually know some people who don't give two craps about the philosophy who liked the action in th- this. It's this, and then the, the people in Zion are fighting back with very primitive rocket launchers and stuff. But it looks way better than the, like the Guardians... Okay, here it comes. Mm hmm. Yep. Mm hmm. Which we've already seen, but Neo hasn't told them about it. I like this guy. Oh, he's phenomenal. He's salted good. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's the guy. He's having every alarm triggers the bomb. 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 <laughs> See, bomb. So this is where things start going really bad for the good guys. It doesn't it does stop being getting, as I say, kicked in the balls until the end of the third movie. Oh. So this movie ends with there being down? There, yeah, this ends with a cliffhanger. <clears throat> 
Right. So they have to blow up 27 blocks of power station it must be destroyed. so that they can enter the building without the bombs going off. Oh, yes. there is an By the way, the Morpheus speech, pump-up speech that's coming up, is the main quote in my main Matrix paper from grad school. And I've quoted it twice on semi-podcasts. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right, so they need one team to blow the stuff up. They need one team to disable the bombs, and then obviously these guys. There's purpose. I mean, I guess the perp- I guess smart people who don't like the movie feel like they're getting hit over the head with the purpose, choice, and inevitability stuff, but here it comes. This is where he maybe should tell her what he thinks is going to happen, but I don't know. Okay, so Dad, he's going to tell her, stay out of the Matrix, and then she's going to be forced to go in to, to help him. And... It, it's a very Star Wars thing because Yoda tells Luke not to leave and trying, but then he tells Luke to kill Vader. But he knows Luke is not going to kill Vader. But it's what Luke needs to hear at the time. Yep, oh, here it comes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, this is the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Wow. Except this guy doesn't stay there till midnight uh, after midnight in the beginning, so it's you don't notice that till like ten times watching it. Oh, this is one of the teams in their ship, and if you get killed here, you die everywhere. Here it comes. I like this guy's crippled. That's cool. Look at those sunglasses. By the way, that's your chair right there. I see providence. I see purpose. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True believer. John the Baptist. I mean, it's obvious that Hugo Weaving, this is the role of a lifetime, but I think also Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, especially because in the third movie he loses his faith for lo- and Jada Pinkett is the one who has to pick him up. I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but at, in the third movie... Towards before the climax, Neo realizes he has to go to the actual machine city in the real world mm. to confront the machine god, essentially. And here it comes, hold on. What is it, Mm-hmm. I can't help it, Morpheus. I can't help thinking. What if you're wrong? This is great writing. Prophecy, everything is bullshit. Right. Someone needs to ask it. Tomorrow we may all be dead. Right. Yep. God. 
he's he's so great. At, I mean, Morpheus that is is. Oh man, look at that! <laughs> yes, this is a war. Right, Morpheus is great at mixing the religious with the practical. That's why people follow him. Here it comes. This is a problem. There's only three teams. This is brutal. This whole thing. He falls. Dead. Alright. Uh huh. He ends up being right, but not for the reasons he thinks. Great music. This is Lord of the Rings stuff. Yep. Captain Soren, you guys are in trouble. They haven't even gotten bombed yet. They're already dead. What? And... Boom. Uh-oh. Right, the ships are close, so they could hear it. It is done. Mm-hmm. Right, they all know how to read the code and what's going on. I love this. Jada, watch her response to blowing up a nuclear power station. (laughs) Oh, she's so great. She's like maybe the highlight, her and Morpheus, of the final movie. There it goes. Mm hmm. Right. And. Yep. The portal. Alright, that's the fantasy term. I mean, the back door thing is awesome, but can you imagine me as a kid reading Feist and seeing, reading this in a fantasy context? I lost my mind. Especially because it's not just places in the Matrix, but like the whole cosmos. Here it comes. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Neil. I'm not going in the Matrix. Here I go in the Matrix. Oh man, she loves them. Here it comes. <laughs> he's so evil. But he's like, well, Dinklage isn't a bad guy, but he's like Peter Dinklage in that you just never want him to shut up. You just want to keep hearing him talk. Up oh, here we go. The dream. But here we see not the whole fight, I don't think. Right. We don't see the outdoor fight, but. So this is again reflected in the third movie, but by Bane, who's the guy that he's inhabited that's in the real Zion world. You haven't figured it out? They make fun of Neo's supposed lack of intelligence in all the movies. But some of the greatest philosophers... (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's a nihilist, a fatalist, 
you know, a genis- art wants to be a genocidal maniac, and yet he's really enjoying being a bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's very human. Mm hmm. All right, these are all the dead people. Oh, little lady. <laughs> oh, man. Uh oh. There's three of them now, and it's not Neo. That's going to be a problem. Yep, she's hacking again. So you remember the first movie pretty well, it sounds like. Mm, I wouldn't go that far. Mm-hmm. I only saw it once. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Did I see it in the theater? But it might be a movie you might see parts of randomly on TV. possible, yeah. 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 It's like Lord of the Rings and uh, Star Wars. They just, you know, play it. One minute. Mm-hmm. Look at him. <laughs> He's so smart. Right. Yeah. In addition to having a great voice, he's just adorable. He really is. The key maker, that is. Bizzlers. So, I don't know if you noticed, but whenever they do a key to another world, there's a little extra magic kind of sound. Uh Uh-oh. And this is interesting because he's done this before, so it's interesting to think whether they would replace him. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he dies in each cycle. Oh, that's cool, right? There's they, they had a plan to get Morpheus at. All right, that, so here here it comes. Here comes a confrontation that no one saw coming, but because of the highfalutin language. Mm-hmm really either bored and or confused people but i to me is so brilliant and was the thing that ultimately locked in this film as so so influential and relevant for me all right there's the door made of light this is all a charade. This is by the way, this whole thing is specifically a reference to the Wizard of Oz. The Emperor has no clothes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's all a charade. Oh, that's interesting. So they tease this in the first movie, but as you'll see... Okay, here he is. This guy's amazing. So you'll see as he makes decisions, it goes into the screen of the decision he makes. Here he is. You can turn this up a bit. Mm-hmm. The architect. Mm. The Wizard of Oz. Yep, he's the Wizard of Oz. Right. Which is sort of what the Oracle was saying. Uh huh. Right. Your life is the sum of Here comes Dan. Yep, this is the false messiah complex. 
Yep. Poetry, as the Merovingian said. People just don't understand English. Yep. Uh-huh. I'll explain this afterwards. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, you... All the Kiana performances that are amazing. Mm-hmm. He's the. S- <laughs> right. No one knows. The Oracle knows. Yep. Mm-hmm. The systemic anomaly. Right, here choice does matter at, in a huge skip. Oh! Oh no. They're still scared of the agents. They, it's hard for them to beat the agents. Yes! Oh man! Ouch. This is, this is brilliant. Yep. Mm hmm. Right. The inevitability of its doom is apparent to me now as a consequence of the imperfection inherent in everything. The first one was the utopia and humans didn't buy it and so it collapsed. And then he created one of in- even insaner, suff- insaner suffering than us didn't. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's worse than the Merovingian. Thus the answer was stumbled upon by another. Hmm. An intuitive program. Intuitive program. Initially created to investigate yep. aspects of the human psyche. Yeah. If I am the father of the Matrix, she mm-hmm. the Yep. The Oracle. Mm-hmm. Please. He says please, but he just doesn't like the name, the Oracle. Here it is. Ninety nine percent accepted the program as long as they were giving a choice, even if Right, unconscious level. Uh huh. <laughs> right, systemic anomaly. Yep. Yep. The one percent who wouldn't accept it. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. I mean, to cut between these two scenes is almost impossible, and they're nailing it. Oh. Right. So that's the false messiah. It's easier to control people by creating a false messiah, having everyone believe in it, 
and that's how you deal with the 1% of the rebellious population. Yeah, 7 males, 16 females. I'm not sure if that's a biblical reference. Yep. So he gives them a choice here. It's not clear why. Right. Yep, he need, they need the batteries. They're ready to... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not just threatening to kill Zion. He's threatening to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. This is what I was talking about. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. General. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, people didn't like words like assiduously, vis-a-vis, and ergo. I'm like, guys, get educated. Right, so he has a choice. Uh-huh. I guess it's because everyone has to have a choice, and so the Messiah has to have a conscious choice. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess because the code would be corrupted if they sent him back, and yeah, that's the thing. They keep grooming Messiah's dad, but they've groomed Neo by accident, who's the most rebellious, but also the smartest of them. He can already tell what his choice is going to make. So they hate love, how imperfect it is, but as we saw earlier, and we've seen the third movie, love is something that machines are going after. Oh, he's going to destruction. Hope. Mm-hmm. That is true. If I were you, I would hope that we would meet again. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. This is a great fight. She gets her ass kicked. Oh. Here it comes. Oh. Prophecy. Out the window. They speed it up a tiny bit this time. It's still pretty slow. Here we go. So now, they're going to reference Superman faster than a speeding bullet, I think. So here's the bomb in the building that they didn't turn off. So this is... This is people, I mean, people die in here. Human beings who are in the Matrix. It's faster than anything I've ever seen. Oh man, look at them. This still looks amazing. So, 
spoiler alert, he's about to save her at the last minute. And everything from here to the eight minutes to the end of the movie it locked in people's dissatisfaction with that. Because he saves her life in a weird way, and then, well, you'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's flying so fast that he's warping everything around him. Boom, he got her. Right. I actually think this makes sort of sense how he saves her. So, you know, she kisses him at the end of the first one, and that's what wakes him up. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe he does kiss her in this one. This is cool. Yeah. Pulls out the Matrix bullet. Alright, that's a cool idea that they can kind of help her outside the Matrix. Mm-hmm. No. She will at the end of the third, though. Which is why he he's lost everything at the end of the third, so he has to... Here it comes. Here comes some cheesy uh, Wachowski writing. <laughs> oh, Lana and Lara, come on. Oh, right, this is how he saves her. He pumps her heart. That's so cool. Heart massage. Yeah. Yeah. Here it comes, and... Yeah. Alright, so... The... <laughs> uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah. Um, so the cool part that's coming up is seeing Morpheus lose his faith, because that's going to inform everything in the third movie. But Neo stopping the Sentinels with his brain it is what people ultimately really hated at the end, but we'll get there. I mean, we're basically there. Mm-hmm. Here it goes. Once the one the source, the war be over. Neo... Yeah, Neo's going to tell them some of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Right, he doesn't tell them about the architect. It's too much information. Prophecy. Yep. Yep. Right. That's what the movie's about, guys. Levels of control. I don't believe that. But you said it yourself. Right. How can the prophecy be true if the war isn't over? Mm-hmm. Look at his face. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? 
Ah, solutions oriented. Love Trinity. Uh oh. Oh man. Uh, kicked in the balls. I always love the squiddy bots. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a new technique for them. They used to just attack. Now they're using bombs. So, the ship's called the Nebuchadnezzar dead. That was the Persian king who, when Jews were in exile, freed us and let us go back. His advisor was Daniel, who interpreted his dreams. And Morpheus is about to quote Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, man. It's so hot, it's blue. That's what it would look like, people. Blue flame. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is where things stopped being quote unquote scientific. Okay. Neo's gonna stop these guys and then pass out temporarily. And then end up in the matrix without being connected. So he he's so connected and powerful to the matrix, he basically has a Wi Fi connection. Yep. Which makes sense, because he has electronics in his body. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can feel them. Mm-hmm. He wakes up in a train station with no entrance or exit, and that's when he meets the Indian family, who turn out to be machines, and they have a daughter that they're, through the Frenchmen, are smuggling into the Matrix, because they love her, but as they say, where we come from, it's not acceptable. As you saw, the architect look down on love and human emotion. Are these bad guys? No, this is is, um, one of the other ships that came to look for them. Mm-hmm. Here comes the cliffhanger. She gets muddled in the beginning of the next one. I'm fine. Look at Carrie Ann Moss. Just killing it! She's so good. I mean, she's up there with Sigourney Weaver, you know, Sarah Connor. I mean, Black Widow. This guy's awesome. And this one, the next one. You can turn this up a little bit. Done again. Mm hmm. Right. Right. Someone sabotaged them. Wonder who that could be. Mm hmm. This guy totally looks like a captain. You know he's the captain. Here it comes. So that you can imagine people seeing this in the theater for the, you know, and being like, "What the fuck just happened in this movie?" 
Here comes the Rage Against the Machine, Papa B. Oh man Rage Against the Machine So this of course is from their final album Battle of Los Angeles Which I think is at least as good as their famous one From 1992 But you know I'm in the minority there as well um, so yeah, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it was nice to have Papa B here as someone to bounce ideas off of. He c- clearly enjoyed it. He definitely got the philosophical stuff. Now he's heard me talk about this a ton before. Uh, and so, oh, Monica Bellucci, God bless you. And Nona Gay. Oh, Harry Lennox. That's Commander Locke. He's such a badass. I love him. Um, and so, all right, Papa B. By the way, my dad likes Rage Against the Machine, which is the coolest thing ever. Oh, yeah. He's uh, terrific. Yeah. Well, yeah. Both of them are terrific. The singer and Morello. Yeah. You love Morello. Oh, yeah. Morello. I mean, Morello plays with Springsteen and stuff now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, I-, I was saying when you were in the bathroom, you really enjoyed the movie, it seemed like. I don't know what anybody has complaints about. I think it's terrific. And my question is... Did- you had a running commentary of me talking about the philosophy. Mm-hmm. So in a hypothetical situation, if you were just watching it and you were enjoying the action, would the philosophy seem like total nonsense or did it seem pretty sensical to you? No, I think it's very sensical. I don't know if I would have, um, you know, I don't know if I would have processed all of it in a first watching, mm-hmm. but in, in, in a second watching, you know, I would think it would be, oh, the fight choreography by this uh, Dion Lam. The yeah. Chinese guy. Oh, yeah, the Chinese guy is, uh, I'm sure you are shocked to know it was the same team that did Crouching Tiger. Oh. Um, Now, it's filmed by Bill Pope, who's filmed some of the greatest and biggest. He filmed Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter, like, you know, one Mm. of the biggest guys. Um, But in the theater, see, the thing is, the first one, the philosophy seems deep. Mm-hmm. But it's really not compared to this. Yeah, yeah. Like, what is real? Are we, you know, is this real? Is this real? Yeah, no, that's. And a lot of people just like the action. Yeah. And in this one, you had really heady philosophy and then crazy action yes. mixed together. So, so, in some ways, this is better than the first one. I, I mean, I think so, clearly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I will watch the third one maybe today or tonight uh, just to get the, the ending mm-hmm. again. The best, the, the interesting parts of the third one are the Indian family who's actually machines in the beginning smuggling their daughter out because they love and that's not acceptable in the machine world. Um, you know, Carrie Ann Moss continues to be good, but the love story is overly sappy. The best part is by far, um, Hen- Harry Lennox was, is the Commander Locke guy the shakespearean guy he's amazing during the battle everyone's great during the battle it actually looks great still the battle it's just it's not in the matrix like almost none of the final movie takes place in the matrix and so you're like this is called the matrix but they're not in the matrix Mm. do they in any way set up a fourth um no No. i'm gonna be doing a podcast soon about my predictions based on nothing but me seeing these movies and knowing them well yeah i I think it's going to go the Animatrix route 
and sort of exploring a pocket, maybe their relationship. I mean, they clearly look older. Carrie Ann Moss, especially, you can tell she's older. Ken Reeves is ageless, but he does look older. Um, I, I think th- they might um, explore like them in their final moments. Because in the Matrix, t- time doesn't necessarily work the same as here. So I'm wondering if they had a final extended uh, thing in the uh, Matrix before she died and then he died. Oh, I see. Um, it also, they, but you know how crazy the Wachowskis are. They could just go alternate universe. Sure. They could go, well, what if Trinity didn't die? And what if Neo didn't die? Yeah. Um, and now there's a peace between us and the machines, but how long is that going to last? So I have some predictions about that I'm going to save. Okay. But would you agree with me that if the fir- generally if the first one's about what is real, this is about control totally. and totally. determinism, purpose, totally. choice, etc.? Totally. I mean, so many. I, I think the thing is, even if there's contradictions in this one, A, different characters are going to think differently about the world. But B, I just love that they threw all sorts of philosophical shit against the wall and 95% hit. Like I always say with Joss Whedon, he might five or ten percent not totally hit, but that other ninety percent throwing sh- is amazing. Right. My question to you, and we'll close this out, um, is: Do you have any questions about the architect's final thing? I tried to explain a little bit about the Messiah complex. Yeah, um... it, it's basically like so. The first Matrix, like I said, was a utopia, but humans rebelled because they didn't, they couldn't accept it because human minds, you know, aren't built. For utopia, right. the second one was insane amount of war and suffering beyond what we've experienced, and that just people were so depressed. Essentially, that didn't work. So he basically, you know, modeled it after late 20th century, early 21st century, and you know they give people a route out of the matrix and build up the messiah complex. Right. Now the interesting thing is. You know, when Neo sees the Oracle sort of midway through the movie, she says, you can decide to trust me or not. He doesn't know it, but he knows he's put together that she's a program in the Matrix and she might have her own motivations. She sends him to the Merovingian, who sends him to the Keymaker, who sends him. So the whole cycle's going on. Now, we learn in the third movie for sure that the Oracle is good. The problem is they, they needed the Messiah complex to be broken, but the only person who could break it was a, a Messiah who has risen above the other ones. And he's, because the code from the other five uh, Neos before him were re entered into the matrix Mm -hmm. what they didn't expect was that they would improve slowly each time to the point where they created a great guy Uh, (laughs) you know a great messiah but the idea is one percent of the population would always rebel against the matrix code like as as uh morpheus says in the first movie it's a splinter in your minds Mm -hmm. they just have a feeling that something's wrong and that's why it spoke to people like me you know when you're a teenager in the world you know you think something's wrong with the world or whatever it speaks to you um but they you know and that's this is straight from dune which is the the sort of the witchy women who control what's going on the galaxy the bene gesserit create among the fremen on the most important planet who the desert the poor desert people a false prophecy Mm -hmm. 
but the prophecy ends up coming true uh, to a certain extent, and they end up taking over the galaxy with, with the help of, of Paul Atreides, Muad'Dib, who's like the Messiah thing. Um, and so, right, so the idea is they needed to control people outside the Matrix, and the only way to do that was by creating a false Messiah complex. So that's basically what's going I see, on. I yeah. see. So, yeah. all right. Well, thank you for watching this with me. Well, that was great. I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, and uh, a lot. Like I said, you have a couple of the best fight scenes ever, especially the weapons totally. room. Yeah. Great car chase. I mean, it's almost weird to call it a car chase because there's so much going on, and great performances. Yeah. I, so uh, nothing complained about. It. I think it's great entertainment. All right, people. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I might tech on a little bit more. Um, uh, to this, but I think what I might do is actually uh, t- start um, my predictions slash hopes for episode four of The Matrix uh, with some of the Phil's philosophy talk. So, thank you, Papa Bizzle. It was gorgeous watching it on this. Thank you. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see what we, we do next. Hopefully, we'll get some Daredevil going maybe this weekend. Yep. Uh, So thank you, BizzleCast listeners. May the Force be with you, but for now, the BizzleCast is out.